as we cover many an insane movie and numerous cult TV phenomenons. Are you ready to get jacked up? Are you with us? Then listen on. Again, film strips, Jay Skipworth. What's up, man? (laughs) What's up? Thanks for having me back on, man. Anytime, anytime. We had previously discussed Clint Eastwood's just moody and yet charismatic resume, politics free. And we had (laughs) out of all the franchises, I I always schedule them like independently just because there's always just a no show or schedule, you know, conflict. And I just said, okay, surely someone wants, you know, everyone's covered Beverly Hills Cop a million times and it never gets old. It's an entertaining movie, but I don't, I haven't seen too many people cover 48 hours. So how about we just do, you know, uh, just contrast and, you know, compare these two Eddie Murphy franchises because they're best cited as like the earliest regeneration of the eighties buddy formula. And Jay, thank you so much for just making time for this. Oh man. Yeah. Heck yeah. I mean, these, you know, you're talking about back when Paramount, was heavy in its dramatic, gritty action comedy phase, you know, and it would it would blur the lines on what what those things meant from time to time. But um, both of these franchises approach that from different perspectives, and um, I it's fun it's fun to go back and and look at them again because it had been a long time. Oddly enough, of all the things we've covered on Filmstrip, neither of these franchises have come up in the queue. Uh, up to this point, uh, there's always time. <laughs> but eleven years in, ever. eventually, eventually we'll get to everything. But we we haven't gotten to these, and um, <clears throat> and they you know, weren't easy to introduce people to because, like, yeah, it, my my folks they were strict. They're like, okay, if it's on TV, you know that we we can watch it. But you know they are R rated for language, so mm-hmm. colorful stuff. And it, you know, it was one of those I always respected Forty Eight Hours, but I had seen it in the worst possible way, just cut up. You know, oh you, yeah, you cannot make out half the dialogue if you bleep it all. And it's just so funny. I mean, I, and I revisited them on El Rey Network before, you know, they took down that channel. But I mean, I'd always had some kind of respect for it, and. I was already a Walter Hill fan, you know, who isn't, he just was a master of just doing very fascinating character studies and just making everything be a neo-Western. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. Everything's a Western with, with him. I, it, people can go on film strip and uh, one of our more fun reviews in the last couple of years was streets of fire, which was a complete bomb for him, but now has this incredible cult following that it totally deserves by the way. Yeah. And, much like blade uh, runner. Everyone yes. cites it as like one of their top 
100 movies is like but you realized it you know it tanks and it's a, yeah it's, it's like the way john carpenter talks about the thing he's like i appreciate the fact that everybody likes that now but where the hell were all of you in 1981 because that lost me a job yeah <laughs> they're talking so, uh, i've seen many tv show actors do that it's like we won all the emmys and yet i never had anyone stop me on the street saying i love you on the six o'clock show can't you know wait and it is yeah. funny how it just goes in stages and you just don't know if it really was just because of limitations of, you know, before phones took off and everyone just had pagers or internet really being that inspirational. It's, it's definitely something everyone stumbles over. It's like, where do you really know me from? <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, and you think about like 48 hours, like without 48 hours, you don't have things like bad boys and even like lethal weapon and oh and steven into soza i mean this is totally his blueprint for ricochet and the diehard movies and yes ricochet by the way that's that's one people need to go back for that because john lithgow in the 90s would play like these incredibly over-the-top villains like that one and cliffhanger are two just morsels of him just being an actor in this huge piece of shit movie uh, but it is fun to watch ricochet is hilarious and that's some good denzel and iced tea it's even in the same universe as die hard yes yes got yeah, the same reporter so yeah yep all <laughs> in the same place yes. typical joel silver but yep. so yeah joel silver was just a co-producer he was working with you know lawrence gordon and who was best known for doing a lot of the other uh, productions with silver as well as laura croft and even creating Matt Houston of all things and Field of Dreams. So, I mean, that there's so basically everybody just took off with this. You know, it's mm-hmm. like I had known about Roger Spotty's Wood, you know, Tomorrow Never Dies, and he worked with Nulty on Under Fire, the war movie. But yeah, it's like he was one of the co writers, and Larry Gross was the only one I would, he was the, one of the free writers. I always forgot his name, but he had worked with, unlike you say, Streets of Fire with Hill and with Eastwood on true crime and crime and punishment in suburbia. So, I mean, again, everybody's literally just taken off. Everybody is pretty much given their best material for this movie. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you, you're looking at, you know, Eddie Murphy again, this is a vehicle for him, obviously, but you pray. They were both Nolte. TV actors. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Nolte, like, Nolte has been this seventies t- TV guy and it really kind of been in that sort of heartthrobby kind of stuff. So him to play a gritty cop, you know, he's kind of a caricature now because his voice is so gravelly and everything. And his but, drunk business, but yeah, I mean, right, right. But like now it's, it, it's a, I mean, the, you see sort of the, the beginnings of that and kind of the, I think the other thing too that I always appreciated about this is, and this this is a movie that doesn't get made anymore, man. Is that he doesn't look like some you know GQ model. He looks like a schlub no. that smokes and drinks too much, and eats bad food because he's on steakhouse all night. You know, it's like that's a thousand percent. And yeah. the cast is lovely. I mean, and it's so fun seeing you know Jonathan Banks, who we'll get here to in a minute, as one of the cops. You know, he's yeah. the main bad guy in beverly hills cop or secondary at least you know yeah yeah well i mean and then i mean then you you've also got you've got sonny lantham and james remar who are just you know again known for playing heavies or tough guys bad guys denise crosby things. before pet cemetery and star trek so right you got a netto tool in in this and too is lovely and, here 
but yeah, yes. Remar, I definitely associate with him. I just would always recognize him. Hey, that guy is always the bad guy or the dad. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's yeah, he's either that. He's he's the 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 you know jerk neighbor that wants you to get off his lawn, or he's the drug dealer. Yeah, uh, always the drug dealer, or <laughs> yeah. or the scumbag who's been framed, or something. You know, he's always right. had an interesting arc, and it's just so hysterical how I would always just try and rediscover some of his casual, low budget, you know. Mm-hmm. revenge or psycho thriller movies but yeah i mean this was years before he kind of started doing a lot of tv stuff like jericho and dexter and I'm like, right he was sex in the city you know you see him show up on that and you're like okay yeah, you mr swab he's still he must have right. dyed his hair really good he's, he's got right well i mean you know but you can even see i mean he was in that remake of miracle on 34th street for goodness sake like yeah, all, all the people, people sticking this like ajax from the warriors okay but you know, oh and that's a look. good i'm glad you made that contrast yeah this is like his pretty much, yeah, his cameo in the bar fight of Long Riders and pretty much, yeah, definitely the Warriors, his breakout role is like his why yeah, he's in Another Walter Hill, by the way, that's a great, great flick. That one holds, I think everybody holds that one in great regard and for good reason again. But uh, yeah, the, uh, 48 Hours is a very, it's an interesting balance between being this very gritty action, sort of urban action movie and a vehicle for Eddie Murphy to do his stuff. And it's before Eddie Murphy had the clout to basically take over production and ruin it, you know, by just doing too much of the stand-up yes, stuff. Yes, he talked about his dodgy career. And I mean, Metro yeah. is probably as close as he ever even remotely gets to trying to revisit this. But yeah. Oh, we're going like, to talk about Metro. I, we cannot. I've, <laughs> I've often called Metro the better version of Beverly Hills Cop 3. But we'll get there. We'll get You're there. You're not like, alone. My pal, my co-host John is the same way. He's like, yeah, hey, can't he, bet. Dude, can't do a frame is... of that but he can do metro and <laughs> yeah um, but no 48 and... hours is is the is the the original 48 hours is the gritty it's dirty the city's dirty it, it's not even the way it's lit that. it's just as dirty yeah. and you can totally understand how rick Waite got assigned by stallone to basically do his version of what was originally the rejected version of 48 hours or of uh, beverly hills cop with cobra is like he yeah. had he, knew how yes. to paint the skies and marion cobretti that another another very fun film strip episode ron and i did many years ago now but yes. uh, yeah Co- cobra yeah cobra lives in the same in the same universe as beverly hills cop but it's just a different part of california you know and and actually it's in the dirty hair universe too because just as an aside real quick the Rini santoni that plays the the uh partner in cobra is the original dirty hairy partner we just sort of made the joke that like he just keeps getting shot in never thought and of te- that and I, teamed up with these psychos and all he's trying to do is just make it to retirement <laughs> i thought of it what i thought of it just because of andrew robinson being the captain after being the scorpio killer but <laughs> that, that all that also like his brother was a killer yeah i totally get that yes like, that's, that's even that's, funnier i never yeah. thought of the partner but yeah that's true he, He's yeah. in both those as the hard-boiled detective, just and he has yeah. ironically more screen time in, apparently in the TV version, which right, is right. better it's version just... of the movie that. Oh yeah, that that movie got you talk about something. The MPA we were talking about that offline, just cut to hell and back. Well, it was the, also Cobra, but and he's Stallone's not in. He cut out as well. So right, because you know, look, it's my vehicle. You know, Ooh, you know, oh, you know oh. I look, I I took the I took the book that it, you know was written, and I just basically said like, look, I'm I'm just gonna put my name on the book and re-release it. Is that okay? So <laughs> that now was, you're making that was, me wish. Yeah, if we could rewrite history. Could we have had Eddie Murphy and Stallone? on screen uh, together that 
that would have been an interesting mix. I don't know that it would have worked. their egos had blended because no. he would have wanted more cursing and uh, yeah, there's no way there's no way that would have worked. And it, you had to, <laughs> you had to pair Eddie against one of two things in his best movies. And this is a good example. You had to give him uh, a, the complete opposite and the person that can play the like you know he's always going to be the slick one right so you have to play the one that's just going to be the bull in the china shop and that's nick nolte in this movie you know (laughs) and and that's a good way to resurface it it is kind of is like they're they're all defensive the whole time yes and uh and pretty much every i i want to call this the steven e disosa universe (laughs) the silver universe because david patrick kelly of all people one of the tertiary bad guy i call in commando he's in this as the main yes robbing yes. spree guy and he's even more ruthless at times than remar even though he's kind of wimpy when they capture him <laughs> right right but i mean that's that's the funny part is is you get you get all these people that you know them from so many other things and they're just playing their little part and then you have your main two with nolte and, and eddie really working well together and i think the thing that makes the nolte character work in particular in this movie is that he actually does like eight minutes of real cop work you know which they used to let you do that in movies they let you do like actual work then it all like became law and order and that was you know that was it you know they right stopped. we gotta yeah. we gotta do montages now and that as close as you get to a montage is probably the second i want to say chase scene where they're in the car and they're apprehending kelly yeah yeah more or less but more but you know it's it's action scenes that are allowed to breathe and um walter hill was was good at those you have a lot going on at once but there's room for dialogue in between um it's something that it, and, and we'll, we'll talk about it in beverly hills cup too but it's something that tony scott borrows a lot from um throughout his career which i always enjoy um because you've got to do exposition dumps that's a good contrast movie. And yeah, you get you got to do those, and it's hard to do those without stopping the train. And Walter Hill was good at like the train is still moving, but we can have this conversation while it's happening. And, and it's, it's interesting, okay, you know, even when you know how it's going to turn out, like he's able mm-hmm. to invest you enough. And I mean, even the car conversations are just very well angled, and it's got kind of that neo noir kind of look at times. Even mm-hmm. it's it's just it, you feel like everything is alive, regardless of whether there's foley in the background. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's the thing is that ev- everything in the movie feels very real. You know, like it's it's not something that looks like it's made up in Hollywood because nobody's made to look pretty in this. You know, they're they're looked like they looked, you know, this is back before we just decided everything had to be this glam, you know, cover of a magazine on, on a screen all the time. <laughs> Everybody was just allowed to look the way they freaking look, you know, and it was it, and that's again there's just a good realism to it even though if you really boil it down like the the stuff that goes on in this is absolutely bonkers like the story is crazy like there's no way you'd be allowed to do any of this shit if you're a real police you know but in you know hollywood fake police world like sure this this we can get off of this in in, you know california where we're chasing road gangs down and we've got unlicensed weapons and all this other shit going on i mean it's it's pretty wild but they do a good job in this in in 48 hours of using the san francisco scenery and san francisco has been the home of you know again dirty harry bullets so many iconic you know cop movies action movies. it does have a bullet vibe and i think that's why you know it's not french connection it's not gritty gritty but i know what you mean it's still it, it appeals to all kinds of just 
fan bases, those coming for a fun movie as well as mm-hmm. a gritty movie. It, cause, cause like you say, it, it is, it, it allows you to just suspend the belief just cause you just know that again, it, it is, it's a popcorn movie with the heart and, Mm-hmm. I'm I'm so glad you made the Tony Scott contrast because Walter Hill is totally the same kind of guy where he he doesn't just you know do what a TV you know person often does where they shoot something and it's left to the producers to supervise regardless mm-hmm. of or well, they they don't even show up into the editing room. No, he is yeah. an editor first, and so yeah. he sees I mean, a he, line that's weak, he'll cut it out. Yeah, well, I mean, Walter and Tony both shared the idea that they they worked in cuts. And, you know, for all of his flaws, Michael Bay works like this, too. Uh, James Cameron works like this. You know, they watch his movie. Hell, that's why they all get along, because they cut the same modus operandi, even though they're making totally different kinds of movies. Like, Cameron is going to make a very self-indulgent, but very moody and dramatic, you know, sci-fi piece. And Michael Mm -hmm. Bay is going to go for over-the-top kind of frills. Yes, uh, yes. Lowbrow you know tongue-in-cheek shitting grins and so yeah it's like these yeah, two guys and, and walter hill's making westerns and then tony scott is making rock and roll videos and everything. he's totally you know? and that, that's we'll what to and, him here in a yeah minute. but I mean, that, that's the fun part of, of watching the you know watching particularly walter hill work is to be able to balance all of the again the kinetic action with the gritty realism with eddie's good comedy and eddie is hilarious in this i mean he's i mean he, People think of Eddie Murphy now, and he is sort of like this family-friendly Disney-esque. He's the donkey in Shrek. You know, he, he just does those things. Or he plays like 50 characters in one movie, and it's just ridiculous. You know, he's doing all that Tyler Perry shit and, and stuff. I haven't and seen him in any Tyler Perry stuff. Are you thinking No, of no, I mean, that kind of thing where he's everybody in the room at the same time, you know? I mean, he's oh, sort of that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, what, that's what I mean. But And there's nothing wrong with that, by the way, because some of that can work, but it can also Would go along. Would you say along. he popularized it more until he got to Nutty Professor? Yeah, and then it just got it got to be too much, you know. But like, I think like coming to America is probably the best like multi Eddie scene because he was the only person he could work with was him and Arsenio. So there's just them. And it would have been so hysterical had he yeah. done it in this. Had he, I mean, right. he's just fresh off SNL, and this was just a side gig. But then you know, he yeah. finally left it for Beverly Hills Cop. But uh, yeah, it would have been so funny had he had like two duplicate roles as one of the inmates or. Hey man. <laughs> well, I mean, he was he was at the height of his comedy touring career too. At this point, I mean, he had picked up the mantle um, that Dangerfield and really Richard Pryor had laid out for him. And uh, Pryor was still doing things, but I think he was in recovery and you know lots of other things at this point. And Eddie had really come along as like this shooting star. But he, you know, he was funny on TV and he was so cute. And then he would say like on his comedy albums, like if you came here for that SNL shit, that shit is free. Like go home and watch that. That is not what I'm here to do. And he he would just get raw. You know, I think this before raw came out. He, he would he suddenly was like raw do comic. that too. He would just yeah. kind of mix in, just kind of just like, hey, don't say I didn't warn you. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he would tell you straight up, like I'm I'm about to you know talk about some nasty stuff on the stage. But he would do all of that that stuff and just you know he could tour forever. He was crazy, and it takes a director like Hill to be able and and tony scott to be able to rein him in in just a way that was like it's just enough because again like we talked about they shoot with cuts in mind so they know where to drop and where to cut and where to put him in and you can tell that hill is definitely he was more experienced i think at this point than where tony was when he finally got beverly hills cop too and you can tell he, he he really knew how to get just the right amount of eddie's 
comedy mixed with Nick Nolte's, you know, smoky uh, Jack Kate's voice and then all the gunplay and all the, all the other stuff. And that's the other thing about Walter Hill movies. They're all gun porn. You know, and so yeah, they are. They're, 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 before it became just, NRA ads, now right? Is. I mean, yeah, but, but yeah, before it was that, and in, in like you know, all the Stallone and and Schwarzenegger gun porn movies from the eighties and early nineties that you like, it's it's Walter Hill has a lot to say about why those are the way they are because he, I mean, Streets of Fire is a gun movie for goodness sakes. In a lot of ways, the, you know, the rifles a damn character. I'm surprised he didn't have lines and sing a song. I'm glad you brought that up because I mean, and I think he also he just wants. Fun testosterone with yes. excellent acting, and that's all mm-hmm. he wants. And I think, I mean, people do complain about how Southern Comfort from the year before, you know, no one saw it until years later, and everyone, you know, notes the obvious Vietnam influence. But I think, much like Coppola with Apocalypse Now, he just he doesn't want to be part of politics. He wants to just have escapism and just mm-hmm. let it fall where it does. And I think. I think you're onto it. I think you're totally just summed up that he wants, you know, much like Tony wants to show some philosophy in between what could otherwise maybe be a bad version of say, uh, you know, death wish. And he just ups it <laughs> yeah. by making it just so even more nuanced and actually having the visuals accomplish it as opposed to what other people do with over editing. I think, yeah. Uh, yeah. Hill it- does so much static and you know, what it means as opposed to that stole that's generic it's not well thought out that's that's, i think walter hill is very good at working in dark and in the dark shadows and there's so much this movie is very dark like the end shootout that goes down where where kate's takes down the bad guys and all that stuff is very reminiscent to you watch the very end of lethal weapon when murtaugh shoots the uh uh, the general McAllister's car right there in that alley after all that, you know, that big chase scene. And, you know, this yeah. is before Mel Gibson and Gary Busey do karate kid four on the damn lawn and, <laughs> and, and everything that, I mean, that it's very similar to the way that the end of this movie was. And for a while, I, I, I mean, I would just conflate them in my head. I'm like, didn't he like pull out this huge dirty hairy revolver and shoot him? Like, no, that's, you know, 48 hours. And uh, I'm like you, I didn't see this until later when I was a kid. Cause it caught me. I was like, five or six when this came out you know so i wasn't gonna go see this but i saw it on like vhs rental because i had a five-year-old brother than me i still have a five-year-old brother but i had one uh who um, <laughs> who would bring home stuff and uh you know I, I could tapes. watch it with, i could watch it with him uh so um so that did you that like was, it right away or is it oh yeah i mean i didn't i don't know that he even got most of it but i dug it because i liked eddie murphy i thought he was funny because i did watch snl and i watched you know reruns and i thought he was cool i was kind of the I, same way where i didn't yeah. love it but i i respected it and then i saw mm-hmm. it again years later and i was just like okay this is yeah. going in my top 10 buddy movies because oh yeah it's it's a completely good mix of it and and it's why it still works i mean the movie's made in 1982 it, we're talking about it 40 years later and you can watch it now and it's fine i mean it's and it's definitely a product of its time like there's stuff going on in there that like whoa they couldn't do that today which is like the weakest criticism by the way ever i hate it's that not even remotely yeah that's like missing yeah. the point of the movie i mean yeah. the whole point is that they use atypical methods. Nolte's yeah. Kate's, you know, has to get along, doesn't get along with anyone. Even some of the other cops kind of give him a, sh- you know, cold shoulder, like, hey, man, you, you okay? You, you, you look like you've been up all night. Oh, I have. <laughs> yeah. And Murphy's Hammond, you know, he's just another guy. He's in there for just petty, you know, 
I don't think they say theft, just being a con man kind of. Yeah, I mean, well, he, like he supposedly ripped off like this this huge um, payroll or something like that, but he claims he's innocent, and you kind of buy he might be, but he's such a good con man that he's probably not. You know, it's it's sort of like, um, and he'll never admit to it, but I, I kind of feel like Christopher McQuarrie borrowed a little bit of that for Kevin Pollock and uh, Usual Suspects. But spoiler warning, by the way, he's the one that ripped off the train or whatever that. that the inside That's a good that point. Movie. But it's it's because it, when they finally reveal that, he just sort of you know Pollock just kind of shrugs. I'm like, yes, of course you put that on the comic like that's that's how he would pull it off like of course i wouldn't do that you know he did it you know and so i thought the same thing it it is one of those where i mean i wouldn't be surprised if nolan was inspired by this in some way but yeah this Mm -hmm. i mean oh oh, look christopher nolan absorbs these movies like there's so much of his i'm surprised if he could have got half the actors to be in some of his stuff he would have done it at this point you know because he's a he's a total mark for bringing back people from the 80s and just dropping them in a movie and you know you're like oh matthew modine's the fucking mayor of gotham okay or whatever you know i mean like that's that's just what he does you know and it just but it reminds you like oh yeah that person had like a whole life and that's that's chris rolla that's what what they do but but Um, you know and i also think like kate's is a very much a precursor to a lot of of other gritty characters that came along much later you know so much yeah, uh, and Olivia Brown plays the girlfriend Candy. Mm-hmm. You might yeah. remember her as one of the cops on Miami Vice. And I, yes. I Miami Vice, I'm sure would have existed, but I doubt it would have been ever, even remotely, had some producer in Hollywood not seen this mega hit. You know? No, no I mean, yeah, got, yeah. I mean, you know, her, her. I mean, that was two or three years later when she got Trudy, I think, for that show. But yeah, I mean, th- this kind of thing introduced that idea into. Grit can be fun. You just got to balance it out. You got to have characters. And I mean, don't get me wrong. That's what buddy movies from this point on do well and don't do well. Some of them Mm -hmm. are really good action movies with on funny or comedy that just doesn't work and vice versa. Like the comedy is just great. And then the action is just poorly inserted. Like it's a last minute, like change in tone. And so it's like, this one was just one of those, it had to balance it out and it, I can totally understand why, uh, what's his name, who helmed Beverly Hills Cop, uh, Martin Bress. Yeah, yeah, Martin Bress. Yeah, Martin Bress. Yeah. Had to improvise with Eddie because he was unimpressed with the, you know, script and it became bigger than the script. And I think the script was already basic. And so I, I would not be surprised. I mean, I, I guarantee you, <laughs> the whole bar, the famous bar scene mm-hmm. has to be, you know, some of it is definitely on the book for introducing, but I'm sure Eddie got some zingers in there that no one was expecting. It. Oh, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I think yeah, I've even heard him tell stories that they just let him, again, they would let him riff, and then Walter would either go, no, more of that, less of that, do that, and they would just let him do it, and he just did it so many times. He was exhausted by the end of it. It's when Eddie Murphy talks to him, he's like, I didn't realize how friggin' hard it was to make movies. You know, he said, I thought he just shot that shit and moved on. He said, because that was SNL. Like, you got nothing. You know, you ran through it and you just did it. He said, I know, you know, I know nothing. And he wasn't so, like Rodney Dangerfield where he's on Caddyshack and he's like, this isn't funny. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I was mean, laughing. Yeah, exactly. Like, he, he's sitting there doing it. He's keeping them all in stitches. And Walter would use the crew as judge for, okay, is, if that lands with y'all, that. it's going to land with the audience and if it doesn't guess what it probably won't land with the audience and that's that's the mark of a good director of, uh, is that on know, the blu-ray i know it 
I, I just heard him talk about that in like a random interview once, man. I don't know if it's on the on that or not, but I, I, I just pretty mention it. You know, and Eddie changes his story so much now. This was like back in the nineties or something when he was probably <laughs> honest. So now, now, you know, the revision is history on it. God, now he's probably you know he wrote the script. Don't say that. Don't ask me that. <laughs> yeah, well, like, you know, he'd be like Stallone, like I, I wrote all of it, you know, or whatever. But uh, you know, that that's that would be how he would do it. But uh, no, I mean, I, I thought I think the the fun thing is too is the two of them together are very funny and they clearly had a good i don't know how they got along on the set i don't remember any of that but i do think that they clearly had some That's good, a good question because i've never you know. heard any of them speak ill of the other i think walter must have just let them know just in on the joke hey you know there's some racism in this you guys are gonna say fucked up shit to each other and then get along by the end i think he had to somewhere, you know. Yeah, I mean, they, like the, they obviously worked that out ahead of time with like, look, this is this is we're, we're, and this was back when you you just did those things and it was acting and you just went through it and it's you know I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but it was just a movie and it was just a story and it was the time, and so it captured anyone who has a problem that. with it, you'll hear about it after the fact on the way to the bank. But yeah, no, I I, I know right. what you mean. It, it is someone must have been smart enough i'm sure even you know de souza you know that's a minority if you can't tell from his surname and i'm sure he you know i notice minorities if they joke with each other they can often just let each other know hey you know and regardless of who's directing you know everyone's on the same page of you know this is a very politically incorrect movie and it's going to show two opposing people who eventually become friends in a funny ironic twist well, and I think I think that's the thing that they're trying to get away from is sort of the sanitized like, you, they didn't want to do the Dirty Harry thing necessarily, but they didn't want to do Starsky and Hutch either. No, like, not even. Like, no, way. this is way too. You know, that's way too tamped down. We got to find you know the the good middle of that. And I'm and sure Hutch was it. the pitch. It definitely was mm-hmm. the pitch. But no, I I I, yeah. I totally concur. I I think, uh, I mean, if anything, Dirty Harry was just similar in terms of the violence, and I mean. I, I even get a in the heat of the night vibe from this. This would be a yeah. fun too. I would totally do a double feature with that of one of those yeah. movies. Poitier's great, you know, hard boiled detective in the deep south with you know downtown L.A. where you're seeing '80s racism and, uh, in some extent, misogyny and uh, oh, I mean, just look, look, toxic yeah, and, workplace. I'm, you know, and, and you could say it. I mean, it's it's a hallmark of '80s films, but you know, Walter Hill films, or a lot of people like to say, you know, Walter Hill doesn't really serve female characters in his films. I'm like, eh, that's kind of bullshit because they're great you know, here. Like, I was like, he's he's responsible for one, the the Diane Lane character in, in Streets of Fire. You know, uh, it's friggin' awesome, and um, he's also responsible for Ellen Ripley, maybe the greatest action hero s of all time. So you know, mm-hmm. I, I don't think that's really fair. It's so not they, fair. They are not the driving force of the story. Well, plus so, all the guys in his yeah. movies get their asses beat. I mean, Streets of yes. Fire, the main lead is overpowered by the villain, and but he kicks the villain's ass no problem within like less than ten minutes. But I mean, everybody has a falling point. I mean, even yeah. uh, even Peter Jason from Return of the Living Dead, Free and Deadwood is here as the cowboy, and right, hey, once again. Like, like, like Tom Cody gets his licks in and in, in Streets of Fire, like we said, but Ellen Ames is a strong character to balance him out with, even though some of it's clunky dialogue, but it works. But in this this movie, both of these guys get beat to hell, but especially uh, Nolte. I mean, and Nolte always looked good when he looked like he had gone a couple of rounds with like Martin Hagler or something. But ass naked yeah. or prepping, yeah. but it's never in a way like it would be yeah. now where you're just like, I feel yeah. like I'm watching a totally different kind of movie. It's like, no, yeah. it's it's on the money and yeah again all the bad guys they get owned 
but yes completely and you never feel like they're weak or not well written or like they're not human you know because a lot of people for a while i mean again we've been talking about de souza's work again Mm -hmm. uh, we love i think we it goes without saying that everyone loves alan rickman as hans gruber but there, there's plenty of movies that do a knockoff of him in not so good a way to where you're like, okay, I just feel yeah. like I'm watching a very bad, again, like you say, Law and Order. Or say, that, that's, it's also like a different kind of villain too, like it's more sophisticated. And I, I, I like to say like this movie, particularly 48 Hours and in some way Beverly Hills Cop, but very much the original 48 Hours was made when wrestling heels, bad guys were strictly like the roughest dudes in the room. And you just, you knew that there were no anti-heroes. There was no fucking Stone Cold. Just looking creepy at the camera, you're like, oh, he They were business. bad news when they walked in the door and you just, you were, you would be afraid of them. You would be afraid of, of Billy Bear. You'd be afraid of Gans. Like the, I'm you know, glad you brought him to. up. I didn't recognize him until like after the fact. I was like, okay, so that's the dude from Predator. Like I knew about mm-hmm. him, but you know, by the 2000s, you know, Sonny Landon was known for being a congressman, you know, <laughs> right? Which is wild to think about, but you know, I mean, not he not played that his far. race card and he got in. And it, well, I mean, so. you know, he he's he's a very intelligent man, and the fact that he played all these heavies is what makes it funny. You know, you hear him speak, and you're like. Didn't weren't he say like, some fucked up political shit or something? Yeah, like that? weren't you like cutting yourself <laughs> and on a bridge when Kevin Peter Hall's running after you? But, I mean, yeah, yeah, I think he did. I don't, I don't remember what his fate was, but I, I do. I know I do he was like, following Ventura and Arnold, apparently. Like, yeah, yeah, I think so. But I, I do like the fact that again, that like I said, the bad guys in this are they they are not good. They are bad. They're rough. They're gruff, and you you're rooting for them to get blown away. You know, it's before that we got into the sophisticated villain that. Um, in some ways, Lethal Weapon, but more like Die Hard brought us, you know, and, and especially the first Die Hard. And, um, you know, because they're not terrorists, they're thieves. You know, that's the, that's the joke. Of, Something of even Hard. the advertisers got wrong. But yeah, uh, right, I right. saw some of what you're quoting on how Eastwood was supposed to be in this. But I mean, can you yeah. even picture Gregory Hines? I, he was. Well, he was. See, that, that's the thing. Like, I Eastwood love was, Hines, but that's a different... Yeah. Well, it's been, see, they both tried to do this movie at other times. Like Gregory Hines would try to do White Knights, you know, and stuff like that. And he would be in all these, you know, uh, Eve of Destruction, which, boy, you talk about some bad sci-fi action. Go for that. Mm. That's a, that's a, that's some yeah. medium popcorn, low rent shit right there. But you have oh, that. And, and then you've, you've got, you've also got, um, you know, Eastwood tried to do this with Charlie Sheen in the 90s called The Rookie. Oh, I remember which, that. Yeah. Yeah. Which is sort of a quasi dirty Harry sequel. It could be um, for the amount of people he just randomly shoots for no reason <laughs> or you know, for, well, for reasons, but like, you know, for just I action know. movie reasons, no paperwork but, in Eastwood's world. Yeah, but, yeah. No, there, there's no damn paperwork. He shot the paperwork, but I could see him in this, but I don't think it would have worked because you've been looking at him and you're like, Oh yeah, it's fucking dirty Harry. He's going to be a badass. You see Nick Nolte and you're like, man, I don't know. This dude may not be that good. Like he may not make it. And that's, that's why you appreciate him. Cause he's not the over the top hero. And they the each moment. get their say. They all have their yeah. moments. Cause like you said before in the bar scene, Eddie was treating that just no different than he would a live standup show. But yeah, Nolte pretty much is just like, yeah, I'm used to it. Is like, I got nothing constructive or nice to say, well, but he knows I- it too. Yeah, and I don't, I don't know if this is true or not, but I can kind of buy that like Shane Black would have used this character in particular as a model for Holland back in Last Boy Scout. How it's sort of not? the same kind yeah. of thing. I mean, it's very much in the same vein. 
Absolutely. Um, and don't you love how Frank McGray, the late great Frank McGray from License to Kill and Lockup, it yes. pretty much parodied this captain role in Loaded Weapon 1 and yes. Last Action Hero. And so I just find it even funnier now when I was rewatching it. I was like, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much what became his whole gist. And much like Nolte and uh, Remar, you know, he's just working with a lot of those same Coppola, John Malias types. So his, mm-hmm. his name was in their roster on affordable character actors who won't let you down, you know? Yeah, I mean, well, he did the same thing in Last Action Hero, I think, too. So, I mean, it's, yeah, it just, you know, you just call that guy up. To I go think he him. uses the exact word verbatim. Like, he uh, uses yeah. some of the exact same words. Yeah, he just, and t- then just they tamped just... it down because I think that was a PG 13. But yeah, that's. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It was Nick Tiernan, too. So, there, you know, there's a little different aesthetic going on there because he's a different he's a different cat than like Hill and Scott. That, I mean, discussion for another day. But yeah, McTurnan is more kind of a. I guess I would compare. He's like a college professor, man. Like if you hear him talk on his commentaries and stuff, like he's, I mean, he's a, he's a deep like film dude. Like he is all about like coverage and angles and art and all this. I mean, he's not, I mean, he's much like Frankenheimer on the directors. Yeah. More in that. He's more in that file. Like Billy Friedkin. He's in that, that crew versus like. Friedkin's a good comparison. Cause I mean, Mm -hmm. French Connection and uh, but know. did you get vibes even on this time of cruising? Yes, yeah, very yes. There's Without a lot showing of, like, anything, the, the dark, nasty parts of, of society. Yes, yeah, it's very cruising. Yeah, all of and that. I'm, and I'm glad you brought up Eddie's storyline because yeah, nowadays if someone wants to do something, they kind of just take from the Tarantino or Ocean's Eleven kind of book, or even John Wick, like where I'm a badass out for revenge. I'm not to be feared, but yeah, I mean. It, it it says a lot when you can Ill, not every movie is good at like illustrating something with just dialogue sometimes they just mm-hmm. have stuff and they mention i think nowadays movies are so fast-paced because again they're trying to ape movies like this or even yeah tony scott and they just think oh yeah the, the guy i told you about but the they just go way too fast and assume that everyone heard the name or knows what you're talking about or they just over explained it in a very bland way to where you're like okay i don't have to watch the rest of the movie i know everything that's going to happen right and, and i mean, just seen too much yeah and and that's the uh, it's a good segue into another 48 hours which wasn't made until eight years later but is definitely the product of eddie murphy he he got back you know two of the screenwriters he wanted he got walter hill back he got nick back obviously um and, and they didn't and, get to Sosa, but they got Jeff Stewart, the co-writer of Die Hard. Right. And they got Larry Gross back in there. And then John Fasano does it, does work on it. And so I mean they he got what he wanted in this, but it was very much more. I mean, you, you notice it, the credits are flipped. Eddie Murphy's top bill in, in the second one. And I, another mm-hmm. 48 hours to me has always been that example of like That's well, Fred that, Broughton, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a sequel that if it had been made four years before, I probably, it probably would work better. But at that point, things had changed so much in, in the world and particularly in like cinematic universes when it came to cop movies and stuff that this just felt like, oh, well, that lethal weapon shit is, is happening again. Let's go it's back and bring again. back let's, this. Let's, let's do this. And at that point, Eddie needed to hit, let's just be honest, in 1990 because things were starting to get a little out of whack for him uh, movie-wise. And and it it doesn't entirely 
work because they're still trying to jump off of it. These guys still know each other. It's still the same sort of area, but they're clearly much older. They're different. Nick Nolte's a totally different person. In the, uh, in that, that I'll movie. have concur. I, yes. Yeah. The, the yeah. way it starts, it's rough. It's awful yeah. in some ways. Like there's a shootout and everything and you're just very confused for those 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. uh, I hated this movie growing up, but I absolutely love it now. Really? And, and I'll, 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 I'll let you in. Because be, because Hill was back here, and he has kind of much like Carpenter and freaking just the ability to compromise with the studios while also kind of not kissing their ass, but making fun of them. Like, just mm -hmm. the segment alone, like, just how it ends exactly the same way, but they clue the audience, hey, it worked the first time, let's do it again. And I, that, that made it better. But don't get me wrong. The, the comedy, for the most part, it is awful. It does not work. But I, 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 the storyline, I absolutely adore it. Like Andrew Devoff, the Wishmaster, you know, Toy yes. Soldiers, which yes. was written by Daniel Petrie of Beverly Hills Cop fame, like uh, Air Force One. I, I just dug, like, that's where the storyline did have to go. Like, yes, the Eddie ego stuff, it sucks. It's awful. The comedy doesn't work. But the storyline itself, I think it's a lot of fun. And yes, Kevin Teague is not the same as the Lieutenant and Edda Ross from Red Heat, you know, is a little underused, but having Devoff just be the whole, like, this is what I wish, a, this is why I like Die Hard with a Vengeance. There's a connection to the first movie in that, again, yeah. you've wronged the bad guy and he's decided, okay. And it just, Devoff was did so good and they make it very clear. It's like, hey, I'm the brother of James Remar and Right. And he's, I mean, uh, rewatching it now, it does make better sense. I understand why they opened it up with him just, you know, at a bar. It's just annoying because you see the credits in the desert and that just gave you the wrong impression. But I get it. That was Hills just having his fun in the sun, Western style. But Right. I mean, he's trying to do it again. I think the thing is that I've always felt about in the 48 hours is that it is very much, let's try to replay the hits. Uh, but we're we're gonna we're gonna go back to doing it. I, I liken it to when Kiss took the makeup off, and then they decided like, mm, okay, let's not do that. Let's put it back on. But at that point, we're like, well, guys, we kind of know. Like, <laughs> you're sort of blown it at this point. Uh, now that I would, but use it, but it kind of works still. Like some of it still it works. Like, they'll put out a song. And you're like, okay, yeah, that sounds like a fucking Kiss song, you know. But it's it's not it's not the same exactly and i think i think the other thing too and i like brian james as, as again a heavy or you know, your your jerk partner or whatever and he's, he, he's, he's part of so the problems many. his yeah, storyline got iced no pun intended yeah and you can tell like this this one felt like he got there was somebody else named you know i won't call out names but it rhymes with Schmitty schmurphy uh who obviously had a lot more influence over how this script was i didn't go. know that i didn't uh, I, so he I, was pulling a Bill Shatner. He decided. I think. I'm, I mean, I've I've always felt like it did because it feels like it's so much in everything is so much more in service to what highlights him and Re, you know the Reggie character. The thing the Reggie character great in the first movie is he's peppered in just enough that it 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 adds a good levity to all the other heinous shit that's going on in the movie. And in this one, it's like, well, I don't know. It's it's almost too neon and slick too. Like there's just something like. Walter Hill does good things. Don't get me wrong. Slick is not his forte. It's not yeah. really what he does. And I think this movie's trying to be more trying to make everyone thing. happy. And unfortunately, yeah. it does have a lot of hit and miss. I know yeah. he 
said he was inspired by the Sergio Leone movies. And I think that's just it. That This was just made, I, I totally concur with your original point. Mm-hmm. This should have been made two years later or five years later, not almost a decade later. Because I think, yeah. I mean, I'm glad it didn't come out in the 2000s. 2000s, it would just absolutely suck because it would basically just do so much I don't know why, but the 80s and 90s just were better at inviting just unrealistic, you know, plausible, implausible shit mm-hmm. to stop happen. Yeah. And it, by the time we got to the 2000s, you were just like, I'm just bored because I've just seen these formulas and I don't buy anything that's on screen. But yeah, I mean, that, like you say, I mean, uh, I think by this point, audiences were just now rejecting gruesome cinema unless it was just mm-hmm. like a horror movie or a sci-fi thriller. And then they could kind of get in touch with that because we had still had newer versions of the Twilight Zone and X Files on TV to remind us stuff can be gritty and good. Yeah. I, I, yes, I mean that this is very much like Kiss, but putting on the makeup. But I think this is before they become lesser. Uh, I I put these both these movies in front of say Lethal Weapon three and four, which you can watch. But yes. I've tried watching those nowadays, and I get bored before halfway in. Like I can watch yeah. a shootout, but I can't make it all the way through. Like I can speed or the yeah, the, the the third lethal weapon, the redeeming piece of that is that Renee Russo is a fucking acting champion and and makes she's that reminding fun. everyone get this back to order and yeah, Gibson yeah, and Glover are off their leash and they're not yeah they're not reined in. They're just they're they're reminding you about why you're having fun, but they're also reminding you about why these scripts don't aren't in on the joke anymore. They're just right. Like, there's the there's the Joe Pesci thing that's way too much to uh, that one and all that. Man. Like look, that, that Lethal Weapon 2 movie has got its problems and stuff, but the way that ends and the way it should have friggin' ended it was with supposed Riggs to dead, end, yeah. And yeah Shane like Black that, was still involved regardless of the rewrite. And it's like yeah. That that would have been a great ending for those characters, but oh well, you know. And now we're getting another one apparently, which oh god, help us. But uh, with the TV show is actually pretty <laughs> decent though. But I'll say for what that, it but, was, and, what it was. But now yeah. they're going to do a new movie with the old cast, and I'm like, man, these people are way too old for this now. If I'm it's like, only man. Glover and just if they do what they did with Shaft, like 2019, I could have fun with it, where they're making yeah. fun of all the guys. But even that was hit and miss for some crowds. So I. Yeah. yeah to, to nah. me it is like the billionth rambo or diehard where you're just like okay 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 the store you know or even star wars with me nowadays you know before mandalorian i was just like okay too much oversaturation yep uh, storyline ends in my viewpoint here but yeah yeah and but you know the, like I say another 48 hours is an example of the a, a, a big star with a studio seeking to make a hit trying to replay the hits of, of a big you know seminal movie in their career and it it kind of works like if i was film stripping it i would give it a medium and i wouldn't feel bad about it it kind of works what doesn't work about it is pl- passable enough and the other thing is it's only like 90 minutes long like when you cut the credits out of it it's pretty quick so it's not gonna waste a lot of your time and it it goes down fairly you easy. like the pyrotechnics at least like the bus chase i think yeah. that, got, that got me in the mood oh, where I'm just oh like, no look the, the action scenes still work like walter can direct all of that stuff but again there's like this sheen laying over it that i'm like that's not like your color palette my man like you know and i can tell he's just caught in between time i totally you know? agree i didn't think about that uh like even the nightclub is uh, I will. I will confess. It's kind of. It's shot a little bland. I like how it's got different kind of coverage, but yeah, it's not. It doesn't have those neon lights, and I just don't know if that was just him showing we're in the '90s or just what was available. In- 
I, yeah, I think I think it, it is that that weird time period, man, between nineteen the end of nineteen eighty nine and like nineteen ninety two before like anything really established itself as the look of the nineties, you know, or whatever. And we're just sort of figuring that out. You know, we're we're away from what the eighties were, particularly the early the early eighties looked like the end of the seventies. So I mean you you're almost like two decades off when you do the remake for, for totally. that. And but so I'll that's give you why this. Yeah. Uh, the manslaughter charge that this time uh uh once again uh you know nolte has to frame himself for that's interesting Mm -hmm. but i wish they could have leaned on that more instead of you know i've got to break eddie out of prison again i like the scene where he hits him in the basketball but all the dialogue in that scene is hardly all that funny yeah it's it's like it just kind of clunks like you're again you're watching your favorite band try to recreate the thing that made him famous but they're just not as good as they were at it no it's you know but but I mean I did a double feature and I I actually found it a lot of fun compared to Beverly Hills Cop where, again like I mean, as you've illustrated you know first one was funny part two was kind of a blueprint for later Tony Scott and part three was just Asosa doing yeah. a Die Hard and a amusement yeah, park well, and yeah. it was boring yeah that that's the thing and it's a it's a that's a good transition over because that beverly hills cop we talked a little bit about you know it was, it was a stallone vehicle and it was this gritty violent shit and then, <laughs> then it, you know it wasn't going to be all that and by the time they got it you know down to to you know what became the movie that eddie murphy was in here they i mean they had you know stripped through it so many different times that you you clearly martin brest had a good idea and he of, didn't even want to do part three no no he didn't and want anything yeah but martin brest clearly knew what he wanted out of that first movie and to to the credit again don simpson and jerry bruckheimer knew what they wanted that movie to be too and they I'm glad underst- you brought that up because bruckheimer and silver they were constantly at rivalry with each other my, yes my, uh your movie's gonna make a bunch of money how would i do a bunch of dmx and jet lee movies exactly <laughs> yeah they, they are constantly chasing each other. and the other thing and i think the thing that still each other's Bruck- filmmakers too yeah and simpson bruckheimer figured out that the thing that the 48 hours movies didn't get is that we got to know how to lace pop music into this and the axel f Harold faltermeyer thing i mean everybody's got that as a damn extra ringtone on your phone nowadays and stuff but the patty labelle tunes and stuff like this i mean it's definitely a product of of its time pointer scissors yeah this i mean this thing was awesome this soundtrack soundtrack is is, just as much a character much like even ferris bueller or john hubes yes yes it's r&b pop gold and and it is it is a and from the opening get i was raised there's someone biased yeah when (laughs) when they're doing the when they're doing the uh the you know the cigarette bus that opens up the movie and you get to meet eddie and all of his shit and the fact that they got um they got a real cop gil hill to be the inspector todd who he says the only difference between me and i didn't know that he said yeah he was a real detroit police detective inspector he was like part of the group that solved the atlanta murders and stuff like that i mean he's like oh a wow policeman he, he's is that his now. actual uniform you think he's he was the real deal he said the only difference between that character and himself was that he did not curse that much in real life but these are the only three movies he ever did with the beverly hills cop movies he never did anything else. He got now. tons of offers, and he never did anything else because he said, "Nah, I didn't want to do." He ran as a Detroit mayor. Apparently, he was. He was. Yeah, he was a Detroit Shit. detective. That's like fucking awesome. Inspector. The, he was the real deal. Because he, he sounded like, real. He didn't he's, sound like he's the black Dennis Farina. 
you know, he's a real cop. I'm surprised Farina wasn't in either of these. He would have been one. <laughs> right? I, mean, I know he would... hadn't transitioned over yet until like Manhunter, but I'm just saying. That yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's a good point. But, but, he's, but he's in the same kind of vein, but it's that realism again. So we've got our realism, but we're going to have a lot of fun with Eddie too, because there's, I mean, it is a, there's a lot more comedy in Beverly Hills Cop, particularly Beverly Hills Cop too. But Beverly Hills Cop is a lot of comedy because nobody knew what Judge Reinhold was at that point. And John Aston yeah. was just a TV actor, you know, like he just played the grumpy dad, you know. And, and so he just, he this just was definitely him. my intro to him. I had yeah, he's just playing Beethoven, himself. But Judge but... Reinhold was, was, he was either the the yuppie jerk you know oh gremlins especially is the boss yeah or i'm thinking like say no most fire which is oh boy that that one doesn't last but or he's this (laughs) he's this nerd he i mean this is what brad what could have done you know he's playing kind of the same brad fast times character here but he's so like pure and fun and then you you add in like you've got Ronnie Cox who's awesome. Stephen Burkhoff to him before the Stephen Burkhoff is either playing like a drug dealing art connoisseur or a Russian, you know, in any movie, you know. But well, I'm with you because like that yeah. you're only as good as the villain, and so yes, like awesome Beverly Hills Cop two, you can have fun, but you don't remember any of the villains other than Bridget Nielsen shooting up a place in part three. Who are the villains? There's like five different ones, right? Well, yeah, well, and that's a shame in part two because Jurgen Prochnow is a fucking you know awesome actor. Das Boot, for he's a great sakes. actor when but he's he got good material. Movie. But, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, for he's me, totally overshadowed by Brigitte Nielsen, who was a thing at the time that was just it was exploding into the into she the. She was kind of there, I think, because of the Cobra connection. It was like she, yeah, I mean, she she, she was, I mean, she was an Amazon for goodness sakes. You know, she's six three, she's Rocky blonde, four, and, she's yeah. gorgeous. She's got she's built, you know, but she looks like she, you know she can be your date, but she could also beat the hell out of you. You know, she shoot all these huge guns and shit. I mean, you know, she's manly woman, yeah. Um, right, I mean, yeah, they were doing all that. I mean, yeah, they were doing all that Red Sonya shit with her and all that stuff. Like, you know, I mean, <laughs> Arnold, you know, she, yeah. was, she was supposed to be the female Arnold. She was. It just didn't work, you know, and for reasons because she's got a presence, but she doesn't have nearly the charisma that Arnold has, you know, and I yeah. don't think she, she got it the way that Arnold gets it or got, you know, what he was in his heyday. I but, don't you know, think she cared at that point because no. like, the stories weren't going to give her anything. So she's just no. like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. And, and I think too, yeah, Lisa Albacher is, I mean, you know, as as a kid in the eighties, and again, I saw this. You know, a few years after it had been released, but it was on. You know, this is the early days of VHS and renting things. But again, having an older brother has its advantages. And I mean, you talk mm. about early crush. I'm like, ooh, hubba hubba. You know, blonde art dealing girl all day. She was I a mean, really good actress. She, just I mean, she is a great actress, but she's also she carried herself as. Again, you talk about the 1980s, the the characters that women really got to play a lot of times. I'm thinking of like Melanie Griffith in Working Girl, and you know some of these other things. Sigourney Weaver had a good turn in this, and you know, and, uh, even you go back a few more you know years before, like Broadcast News and stuff like that. Like, Holly Hunter, there you go. Yeah, is it Holly Hunter? Yeah, you get you get really interesting, alluring females, but they're not like totally sex appeal. They're actually smart. They have agency. They they are fun to watch, and you you buy the danger that they get themselves into because they're not yeah she's like a reporter here and so there's a reason for her to be with these inspectors but they don't uh, like you say uh they illustrate jenny as a just you know 
someone who actually just wants to expose some corruption, not. Well, I mean, it, it's their friend that gets murdered because he rips off some bear bonds, you know. And that's and, right. I forgot and that's that. that's yeah. the thing is that that all this happens is Axel gets vacation because you know he's already done the unauthorized sting, but he got out of that. You know, he weasels his way out of that with his captain or his inspector because inspector shots all over his ass about that. And then the you know the hit happens and. You know, Todd's going, man, this is bad. This is bad news for you, Axel. You don't need to be getting around in this. You know, you need to take, he, go. And he said, all right, I want my vacation. He's like, you just stay clear of this. You know, and the way yeah. he says it to him, it's like, again, only a real cop would know how to not be 100 miles an hour at that moment. And he looks at him like, don't do it. Don't, do not screw with me right now. And, you know, when he, when he winds up out in California, again, you have a lot of fun. <laughs> with it and they're, i mean you know you think about and this ashton and reinhold i mean they, oh they're they got, perfect together i mean it's like father and son like they are funny together they're but even great. before Die Hard, like i mean kind of like if you take away mclean and powell then, yeah. you know, then you got all the incompetent cops and fbi guys so it's like the, these guys are cool in that they could carry a movie by themselves too if you took yeah, them the real away. cops they could have their own tv show like i they would be a good spinoff on it like you could see them actually solving crime you know well, they're actually doing why, paperwork <laughs> yeah. yeah you did that's right you, know, you you do have a few scenes where they're at a desk and they're at least scribbling down something so you get in your head as opposed to you know dicking around eating an apple mm -hmm. or a donut you know and yeah and, and i'm glad you brought that up because like ashton you know is also an underrated actor and he kind of just will always be known for this and Bress's you know role as the bounty hunter in midnight run but yeah i mean uh reinhold is, is probably at his best here because uh, I don't know if you've heard. He also kind of had a bigger ego than Eddie. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, refusing I'm, to do things on SNL and all that. So, I oh mean, yeah. I mean, there, there's. I'm glad that they got along on this. Like, they're still even keep in touch and everything. So that's wild. Yeah. They must have just been. I guess. Well, I, th I think you can tell. Like, and by all accounts, everybody that was making this had a lot of fun with it. As troubled as it was to finally get the movie to be made. Yeah, you're a last minute replacement. Got Someone yeah. got fired for that saying you will not do that again. Like you will blacklist Stallone if he does some bullshit like that. You right. Know? <laughs> right. I mean they 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 the fact that they got out of it what they got is great. And I think it's because the mystery is good. The watching Axel and Billy and um uh, Taggart solved the mystery along with Jenny of, you know, why, why are the, you know, the coffee grounds, he's smuggling drugs, you know, all this stuff, you know, we're kind of peeling back the layers of how things work and you're seeing him do actual detective work. It may not be like legitimately, uh, you know, straightforward actual police work, but it's movie police work and it makes it fun and it draws you in. And the fact that the bad guy is not Gans or Billy Bear, you know, he's he's a totally. an art dealer that, that is like he's he's a corrupt uh, politician among other words, a corrupt businessman. You know, like that's there's nothing more eighties than that shit. And it's eighties, like, but it's still going on. Yeah, exactly. It's, but it's, that's what it's I'm just like, one it's, of those. It's more subtle kind of. Yeah, like, I think the fact that he picks up a gun at the end of the movie is the part of it's like, man, you don't need to be holding that. You can't hold that gun. That's the that. lethal weapon too moment yeah, where he's like, I have diplomatic little, immunity. Yeah, like no, not really, brother. No, no, I'm just gonna shoot you off that ledge. But but it's a great. I mean, it's a great shootout too. I've always felt like the shootout at the end of this movie that Stallone's commando borrows a lot from it. It looks like the same friggin' house anyway. It may be for all I know. It's not Stallone, it's, it's Schwarzenegger. Except it's just Schwarzenegger shooting everybody instead of like the entire police department descending on that. That's what I've always appreciated. So that would be good to here, know. Is like all the cops show up. <laughs> they <laughs> it's do. It's not just two cops. It's 30 cops as it would be 
and all these bad guys. That's what I appreciate. I'm glad you brought that up. And uh, I, I definitely got that. I introduced this to my sister who had never seen it. It was on Comedy Central Uncut. And we said, hey, let's, let's put out some time for this. I know you're just going to love this. And she loved it. But I mean, it was one of those where, yeah, like you say, uh, they, they did pretty good. Rust, apparently, according to his commentary, which is like the only special feature you're still getting on all the DVDs and Blu-rays. But uh, I could fact check that. But um, yeah, yeah, he did a banged up job because like they shot at the same mansion that had been filmed for Scarface the year before. And this was his first time doing any kind of action. I'm like, well, hats off to you. Cause like, <laughs> and I, I think to compliment your point, much like Hill, he, he knew how to make actors, you know, if you don't like the dialogue, redo it here on the spot. And he, he, he and Eddie were constantly trying to be on each other's level. Like Eddie kind of wanted to do exactly what he had done in 48 hours to grade a pill and acclaim. I mean, he got in a golden globe nomination. So he's not, he's not letting that one slide. He, he wants to do good. <laughs> He wants to compliment his ego and make people say, hey, I love you, I love you. And Brest, I think, you know, I think he had done, if you've ever seen the original going in style, if not, please check it out. It's it's a fun, you know, buddy movie then and there. So already perfect guy to pick for this kind of low-key crowd pleaser. And Mm -hmm. I think he knew after being fired over creative differences on war games, you know, can't, I can't let any bullshit hit the fan. I can't no. risk that again, or I will be totally blacklisted or just. Be well, yeah, I mean, he rumored. was a guy in need of a in need of a hit at that point, and and to some extent, Bruckheimer and Simpson were too. Like they had gambled a lot of stuff, and it hadn't worked yet. And yeah, this, this is, people this forget they exploded we, them. I mean, people know him from all these other yeah, uh, Nicholas Cage and Denzel Washington thrillers of the '90s, as well as Pirates. But yeah, but but. They, like they didn't run and all that top like, gun, yeah. you, like, they didn't top get the top gun right would not have happened if this movie hadn't hit like, they wouldn't no have way. even been endorsed by the navy at that point they didn't have you it know. in their budget yeah <laughs> yeah exactly I mean, but yeah, i mean the thing too is like the cast is so deep too you got three great comics buried in this paul riser in there bronson pinchot and damon i Williams. always forget he's in it and it's not because yeah. he's bad or anything it's just he's like the tertiary character just the backup yeah, funny. they're just there and 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 if you're a breaking bad fan jonathan banks is one of the hit men you know in, in this who so, played mike arbitron so this so, was my intro know. to him this is before yeah. i'd seen 48 hours and I, I think you know he's only in like one scene as one of the cops doesn't he mm-hmm. get shot i think in 48 i think hours? so yeah. yeah he's the one in the opening raid so yeah uh, but yeah but hills cop I, I guarantee it this has to be i mean because after this he did just so much you know he did Wise Guy the show, but in between it, a lot of schlocky, you know, fillers and everything before Breaking Bad right. as Mike, Hitman Mike, Crooked Cop turned Hitman Mike. And, but I, I don't think without Cop, he would have been on here. No, uh, no, no I, I, I completely agree. And, and Beverly Hills Cop, too, is it's a Tony Scott joint for sure. So, so Brugheimer and, and, uh, Simpson are going to their guy because after Top Gun, which was a friggin' you know mega mega hit, and this this was mega. a mega hit too, made two hundred seventy million dollars for goodness sakes. They go back to the well with this. They bring Larry Ferguson in. He's a great screenwriter. He worked on. And Thailand I had to look him up because Hunt for October. And he was yeah. just the Paramount go-to guy at that yep. point. Yeah. Yep. He was. And, and he even and plays himself in Last Action Hero. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You got Warren <laughs> Scarring in there. I mean, he's yeah. He he is he is the go-to guy. But I, this one is a much lighter fare in certain scenes. Everything Eddie's in is 
is much, there's a much lighter touch to it, you know, cause he's trying to soften his image a little bit, I think at that point. And, you know, he's, he's he didn't know what he had going. And I think he wasn't yeah. sure if he wanted to do sequels despite him wanting to be, you know, hot shit, but I'm yeah. glad you brought that up. Cause I mean, there's, uh, like, like you say, this is before we get, you know, top line Tony Scott, but mm-hmm. I, 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 I'm, I'm with you. He does pretty good considering what he's got, where the plot's kind of forced on you, but you kind of accept it because it just keeps going by so fast. Right. It's like 40 hours, too. I, I, would, I would wonder if there's a fan edit of this somewhere that really just trims down the Axel being a goofball at the people's house and all the comedy stuff. And if you just watched like the 80 minutes, I guess. That oh, I vaguely the, remember it. It just felt yeah. like it was there but it wasn't a hundred percent and that's why it kind of got lampooned. But I mean, yeah, but I'm saying like, like if, if you watch just the, just the, the alphabet robberies and all of that stuff, which is kind of goofy, but if you just watch it, cause again, it's shot with that Tony Scott, everybody's sweating profusely in the hot California sun shit, you know, that he loves to do. Cause he's so good at shooting people when they're perspiring. It was mm-hmm. like one of his, one of his things, but you watch that with that, that thumping soundtrack. Again, it's got a great pop soundtrack. You got fucking shakedown from, from Bob Seger on this. Oh, the soundtrack is definitely, yeah, you got, you got James Ingram in Better Way. <laughs> you know, you got Pointer Sisters back, but uh, you know, Be There is not nearly as cool as, as the previous stuff. But you got I Want Your Sex in here. You got like you got Corey Hall. Mm-hmm. You got you got. I couldn't stuff. not remember that. That was in the credits, so it's like I had. I of course I remember that, but yeah, I mean, right. it, but I mean, but you you've got you got Harold Faltermeyer really doing good good work underneath all this, and it's it's a template for a lot of other action movies that that borrowed from it i think a lot of movies say they borrow oh, this is bad boys beverly hills cop. The, yeah this yeah beverly hills cop 2 is what a lot of movies borrow shit from and it yeah, I, they don't it, borrow from the first one because it's mostly comedy and it's like well right. the action is fun but it doesn't work 100 yeah. percent. i think the only really truly effective one has to be the finale when they're raiding the shipyard and they oh, decide the, to be all yes. funny like mo- that how many movies can you name where someone dicks around with a rocket launcher? I see almost every other buddy movie has a rocket launcher or a grenade sequence, and someone's mm-hmm. like, "Oh my god, I didn't know it was a good shot." You know, shit like that. <laughs> right, right. I mean, you, but you've got you've got all of the the stuff. Ashton and, and Ryan Holder back, and they're giving it everything they've got. Again, you've got Jurgen Prosh now, who's a great villain, and he's hamming it wasted. up. I know some people wasted, who said, but. but but Dean was, Stockwell, this was like, you know, quantum leap. He was going to be everybody's favorite, you know, holographic simulation. You know, he's playing like a heavy. And it, it's kind of neat to see him get to do that. I always forget he's in it. But I think, yeah, it, had he not been in this Paramount production, yeah, I don't think he would have gotten the Belisario card. I don't think. No, no. I mean, this that got him <laughs> this gig. But you've got, I mean, again, you've got a deep cast. There's some, you know, some fun people, you know, in it. I'm glad you There's, brought up Procno because I think – I know I've known people who said that was their intro to him. They, uh, yeah. they, had, they had never seen Dune or Das Boot or even Air Force One at that point. I'm like, really? Okay, but that makes sense. That was an in-between kind of gig. So you're going to be stock Russian bad guy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, yeah, he's the stock foreign bad guy or whatever. But I love that. That, But he's got, I mean, part of it is too, the name just makes you look Maxwell Dent. I'm like, that is not what that guy's name would be. It was, it, you should have yeah. changed that to like fit him and more of you know, what he was. A but backstory I guess just, on that would have been fun because I get that they're also kind of thieves who are forging stuff. They're like Eddie Murphy's yeah. character in 48 Hours if they were successful. 
Right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, his whole backstory. Like, he's lost a ton of money, and he's trying to not get killed by the people's money that he lost. So he's he's basically robbing himself, and the proceeds are going through, and then the insurance money pays it back. And all, I mean, it's a, it's a complicated little you know scheme, and I, I like that because that's why I say like if you could if you can get around the Eddie Murphy being too much of Eddie Murphy because he is too much in this movie. The, didn't think of that the, the yeah. action movie was... part of this is pretty good like it's actually kind of fun it's not great it, i put it along the same lines as another 48 hours it, it but but it was made close enough you know it was within five years they really made it like four years later and it just got delayed you know coming out but they, they i mean they hit it at the right time to do it you know 48 hours waited almost I mean, 10 years and this one did it within four or five years which is when you should do that if you're gonna do that again and nowadays they do it in a year and a half right you know well, but, and you know because like 48 hours it has a rough beginning but eventually you settle down you're like yeah, yeah it's fun it's not needed but it's fun it's- and it's got a fun like subplot <laughs> with the the jerk captain that's always yelling at everybody and you know and the mayor and, he does and, have some good screen time although yeah i will say uh uh, that's where what's also rough at the beginning is like instantly Ronnie Cox's captain gets shot and you know injured mm-hmm. and you're just like whoa 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 but what, what, what did this have to do with anything but right it's, it's, it kind it's, of forces it on much. you but yeah, Scott fortunately is good at working for cliches just keep the movie mm-hmm. running so you don't have yeah. time to complain but I know what you mean it is like yeah and and then then we go to Beverly Hills Cop 3 which is oh wait hold, hold, hold up yeah but well I, I gotta ask you who was the better parking valet, Damon Williams or Chris Rock? <laughs> Before we get uh, Chris to Rock's the better parking valet, but Damon Wayans is definitely the better banana. That's kind of what I was thought. Is like I recall Chris Rock's, but uh, yeah, uh, uh, being a standout in the movie. But I also just thought Damon just was more naturally funny, just because the scene, you know, it invented he the is. whole Chris, banana. Chris Rock is a kid, like a legit kid in this. Like he is <laughs> nobody in this, and and you can tell he knows he's nobody. Uh, but it's it's definitely because Eddie knew him or something. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, that, I mean, it, it was Eddie. I mean, and good on Eddie. He's always been good to do the things that other people did for him, and and some who didn't do it for him too was to open the door for other people. You know, be be a. Uh, somebody who elevates other young, you know, actors, comics, things like that in the community. And he's, he, uh, he you know, Chris Rock owes a lot to Eddie Murphy. He'll tell you that. Um, but, he do. <laughs> but I'll tell you this, I, Eddie Murphy stand up and I don't even know if he could even do it nowadays. Anything nowadays. I don't, know I don't think to, he wants to nowadays. He wants to do a movie. Chris Rock can still kill on the stage. And, and he, oh, totally. He's really good, but it took him a long time. Like he got fired on SNL. Like he, it took him losing that to really figure out what he was doing. Well, and you uh, know, he a, went through a painful divorce too. Yes, yes. I mean, well, he, I think he, went, he realized I can be broke at any time, regardless of my fame. I'm not right, right. So I mean, he he has refined into the good stuff. In spite of what Spiral from the Book of Saw would let you believe, uh, he can still act and do things. Um, Beverly Hills Cop 3 is what I call let me get my friends together because we all need something good to happen and then nothing good happens. Right. This is bad. Like this is this is all horribles. You get D'Souza back, John Landis, who was definitely personally already Rana, pretty blacklisted in that yeah, area. Not no, a good idea. I'm gonna call my buddy Nile Nile Rogers to do the, the soundtrack. Now the movie made a lot of money because people wanted to see this again. But it was seven years later, and we had moved on from this this model. And he completely. didn't want to do it. 
and, he and wasn't nope, promoting it. He didn't want to do it, and you can tell. Like you, you talked about it earlier. You can tell he is not interested in this. This is not, and it's a dumbass premise. It's boring. It's it's Growing not up, fun. I was just oblivious to it, but yeah, on parts of it, I would rewatch it and be like, "There's some good scenes here, but there's it's just the the like the mid section is okay. How it begins, how it ends, very." inconsequential to everything else going on it just doesn't feel yeah. like it was even i get that movies aren't filmed in any order but like this doesn't feel like it's in any kind of order it just feels like everyone was just so pissed off about having to work with a star like i i mean that just happens if someone doesn't yeah. want to be there you get that vibe uh, on the rest of the film crew they don't want to really finish it they don't want to be credited and that's just what it reads as and it's a shame because like like you said it yeah, you know, it it could have just ended with those first two movies, and that would have been okay. You could have waited for yeah. it to gain some attention. And everyone says, you know, bring it back now. And I think, uh, you know, again, Landis has done some good comedies, but let's not forget his, you know, infamy just disregarding safety and everything. I'm surprised they even invited him back. You know, I, I that had to be an Eddie thing that I'm only doing this places. if you if you let yeah you let him do this because. You know, he wasn't, I mean, that had to be it. That That's all I can think of. And, and it's we not joke, coming to America either. It's no, not even low key. Funny. It's not even close. It's not, nowhere close <laughs> to any of that. But I think, I think the other thing too, and I joked about it, that Metro is the better version of what this should have we been. All that agree. was made in 97. And that actually would have worked as a Beverly Hills Cop movie. And it kind of should have been because it's a much I better I wish story. it could have. And yeah. it's a shame because like, well, Metro is easy to figure out. You just invested because it's a Miami Vice kind of storyline. And this one, I mean, there's so many good actors. I mean, mm-hmm. Carhart, John Saxon, even Teresa Randall from who's later in Bad Boys. And yeah. I think, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, I think, yeah, Bruckheimer and even Simpson abandoned ship. They just said, nope, yep. not going to yep. even fool with it. It is and so. I think that's just it. When Eddie's running the show and he doesn't want to be there, that's just not great. But I mean, even what's his name, Bronson Pitchett, you know, he's reprising yeah. his role. And I, I do kind of like the music video he's showing off that's amusing, but that's like as funny as it gets. The rest of the time, it's just a disconnected, lazy shoot 'em up. And you're just like, okay. I mean, because like Stephen McHattie, he's always a great bad guy. You might mm-hmm. remember from the history of violence and Pontypool and. Yeah. Completely, but but again, they're all wasted in this half totally strip that looked like he got. I, no offense, I mean, it does not look like there was a lot of love put into it. And maybe what got shot wasn't what was written. That is not. It wouldn't surprise me, you know, at all. Because the Secret but, Service agent plot in the third portion could have worked. Cool. Like that could have worked. Why doesn't it have more? <laughs> it's just screwed up again. It's again. It just feels like we're trying to recreate something that is has passed it's past us and there's just no there's no love in it at all and it's not fun and it 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 makes you i think in retrospect because i'd always felt like well beverly hills cop is a real come down like part two is a real come down from the first one that first one's infinitely rewatchable that second one again you can kind of watch it and then eddie starts screwing around you can go away and do something else vacuum you know whatever mm-hmm. and then come back and you know and you hell do like you say do a fan edit of the non-comedy bits and just have part two just have the action movie yeah just have the action movie and it's it's because you got tony scott's touch on it john landis can't direct this kind of stuff 
I mean, like no, American Werewolf in London, notwithstanding, like he can't direct action, and no. that's that's not what he does. And 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 again, there's a lot of reasons why this you know was done. I, Growing up, it was a three out of five for me. Nowadays, it's a two out of five because it is junky. And the yeah, reason I'm going junk. with this is yeah. I just I, I find it way better than like some of today's really bad like buddy formula movies. Like I'll oh, take this totally. over, say something like say Ride Along or Rush Hour Free. Oh yeah, see like yeah, I, those like all those movies the, like because those are so this. uninspired, and everyone would always say, "Oh, it's Die Hard. Oh, it's Lethal Weapon." I'm like, no, it's more. It's Eddie Murphy formula. It's total Axel Foley, forty-eight mm-hmm. hours, you know, and but not as funny and not not as not cool. even remotely funny. Yeah, I, and I mean, Jackie Chan, coolness aside, it's not nearly as cool as as this and as as the, where this came from. And that I just want to say, I'm curious though because I know they have batted around for probably eight or nine years now doing a fourth one, and apparently it's it's in production or it's in because well, Dolomite again. was just so damn good and well yeah and then Coach America 2 was okay I mean it wasn't awful it was funny and and it's gonna go straight to Netflix which it I'm worked as for. a streaming movie it would not have worked yeah. as like a you know no, theatrical. theatrical so I'm, I'm curious yeah. to see what it does but like I say that my name is Dolomite was awesome like that was fan that was Eddie returning to form I really thought like he was gonna get it for that one oh and uh nailed it IndieWire I think summed it up perfectly he was able to relate to this guy who was ego headed because he had been and who just been there you know, who had yeah. failed massively. And he was like, yeah, that's where I've been the last 20 years before Shrek came along. So I was like, yeah, I think mm-hmm. he, he was able to laugh at himself finally and uh, make a very fascinating tale with some great guys who'd done some other, just, you know, the Andy Kaufman movie with Jim Carrey. So it's like, they, he was in good hands there. And like you say, um, it's just like, Bad Boys, it's fun, but it's more just, you know, Will Smith and Myron Lawrence wanted to do what they want and just mm-hmm. reminds you of how much better Beverly Hills Cop is. But in many ways, I can only see it coming to life because of Bruckheimer wanting to replicate his success with, you know, oh, Beverly Hills Cop. More yeah, Miami that... set action. And in all fairness, they had a bunch of other guys who worked on stuff like, you know, uh, you know, uh, various comedies as well as the diehard films so it's like that yeah. when it, i felt like that made its own impact regardless of not measuring up to those other movies but mm-hmm. uh, uh like you say i mean rush hour is only pretty much exists because of jackie chan and chris tucker like chris tucker was funny he ne- was never eddie he was never even chris rock but he was amusing in that own respect and jackie chan got to demonstrate a lot of the stunts that long time and newcomers uh what we're gonna later expect from them and but yeah it's like the plots what plot you know it's, yeah yeah there's no there's no plot and it's there's and, virtually no plot and, and, but you know what the, those movies got made because brett ratner turns in stuff on time and under budget and right you know that's before that, we knew what worked. a creepy was and yeah before we knew what a total creepy was I it mean, was and, weird because i knew he was an asshole he had been with eddie murphy and produced his award show and everything that was supposed mm-hmm. to happen but I didn't know he was a douchebag. He was going around raping actresses. So it's like, yeah. Right. It's, yeah. But I mean, that's why he kept getting work. So he turned in that stuff. And you can tell those are, they're paint by numbers, action comedies. Very lazy, and, but. 
Okay, yes, very lazy. And I, I think that would that'd be how I would sum up the third one is it's incredibly lazy. The second act has some cool stuff going on. And then it's there's too this, late though. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah, too late. And then when they get to the cool secret agent third double agent thing, it's like, well, okay, we, we've blown that now. Like you had the chance to set that, that up. That must have been the as much as they followed from Steven just so and the first part was yeah. just, oh, let's have a bunch of guys get slaughtered in a, a mechanic shop. I'm like, but what what does that gotta do with the rest of the what's going on here and but like you say all these movies i think that's just it it's like 48 hours uh part two and beverly hills cop 2 they start off rough but they just kind of just pick up the slack even when the comedy isn't working in them and it's like the comedy doesn't work in this and mm. uh, the beginning especially just like cut it out nothing changes you could have literally because i love hector elizondo how can you not you know from chicago yeah. hope as the new captain and it's already bad enough that they had to replace Ronnie Cox because he was unimpressed with the script. But it's like, you, you could have literally just started there. And it was interesting just seeing Judge Reinhold just, hey, I'm finally in charge. I'm your boss now. That that was some comedy potential that could have worked. And they just, I'm a sergeant now. And they squandered it. They squandered totally it all. Totally wasted it. And yeah, totally wasted it. So, and, that, and that's the thing about you know, these, these franchises, like these, these sort of small ones, is that you can see the steep decline between them you know like the the original films 48 hours and beverly hills cop those still work they're iconic that watch them absolutely they're they are great moments of the the marriage of action and comedy and then you can see their sequels and it's like well it's the lesser version of that so it's already not as good but it's okay it's not bad it's it, mm -hmm. it's passable and, and they never did another 48 hours they kind of did with that stakeout movie which we're not going to talk about that um but they 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 totally you see it totally go off the rails in beverly hills I'm so it's like you brought out stakeout that was another example i was like yeah I I know some people really like those and others just really hate them. I always thought they were watchable, but could never relate to any of the comedy or action in them. And I think it was just because like 48 hours was just so fluid for the most part. Like you just loved, again, just Walter's sense of mm -hmm. characterization. And like you say, the first two Beverly Hills cops were good at just, uh, again, just the comedy for the most part was working and you just liked the characters even when something wasn't working before you got to part three and i mean we were talking about metro how awesome would it have been if michael wincott had made had been in this you know the right. same time See? he was in the crow much and better right? then he would have yeah. probably been even more standout because it's his moment to shine it's his first mm -hmm. real big moment in the sun that would have well been. i mean you know and that's the thing i would say too is that the the bad guys in 48 hours in Beverly Hills Cop and the bad guys in in Beverly Hills Cop 2 they are all like there's something to follow there like you you they're layered they're not just caricatures you know they're I mean even it's just heavy drug dealers in the in 48 hours like you you buy that there's there's a whole web of shit going on in that movie right and then Beverly Hills Cop and Beverly Hills Cop 2 are their mysteries in some ways and that you know you're not you don't know you don't know until and they had you. their own style like yeah it's like you wouldn't have gotten that what you would get from like a miami vice or like you say any procedural show because i mean those were all about you know the grid and hard-boiled cops undercover and it's like uh with like, like you say with hills cop you know it's a party movie it's it, it's it, you're, you're seeing a guy break the rules and you're already 
encouraged to just suspend reality because he's doing something that would get anyone instantly fired and you want to see how he'll get out of it who will make an exception who will and like you say the criminals were interesting you know i i think 48 hours though they get close to almost getting diehard level not in terms of a being organized but just being very fascinating if you will mm-hmm. no and, yeah, I agree. and and cop is totally just more just just quotable like dialogue yeah. down to a t and just well it's fun. fun it's just it's infinitely yeah. fun those two movies are infinitely fun whereas beverly hills got three should be forgotten from existence which most people have anyway so yeah, i think they just, have i yeah. think everyone's had enough time to heal and i, I barely even see it on tv nowadays I, I i don't i can't recall the last time someone said hey someone totally wants to watch part three <laughs> it's like no let's watch part one maybe part two you know yeah, died completely. Uh, but um, so, uh, so how would you rank like your top five buddy franchises? You think? Oh man! You think, but well, okay. So okay. if you don't want to list it, like what would? You, obviously, the first Beverly Hills Cop and Forty Eight Hours are going to be on there. Um, mm-hmm. You think they'd be above Lethal Weapon and Die Yeah, Hard Free? I I would. Yeah, because I think that the. I, Lethal Weapon would not have happened if it had had been, particularly for 48 hours. And I think in some extent, Beverly Hills Cop, though I think it has more to align with in 48 hours than anything. So I would go, um, but, you know, just in saying that though, like, honestly, like that, that first Lethal Weapon movie is stellar. Like it really oh, it still is. rocks. It's just, yeah. It's but as a like, franchise, it does no. not, it does not last long. So if, if you were to tell me, like, take the first films of these things, where would I put them? I would tell you, I think Lethal Weapon's the best movie out of all of them. And oh, then I would yeah, I would cause... put Beverly Hills Cop above 48 Hours only because I, I happen to like the tone of Beverly Hills Cop a little bit more. It's just more my kind of thing. But it's, it's that's nothing going. against 40 Hours. Yeah. It's a little easier going down. Yeah. And and then you've got 48 Hours, and then I would say anything else, like Rush Hour and all that shit. You know, Cause like, afterward. Because like Die Hard is like number one for me, but it's also a franchise with its issues. And um, it's like... Yeah part two and five especially have moments where you're just like yeah but it was done so much better the first time around and you know part three and parts of part four kind of got away just because the buddy element was fun there even though the plot was bananas and it's like because like you say like lethal weapon was kind of the popular kid in school and you know dire mm-hmm. movies are making money but it's like eddie's franchises kind of kickstarted those both and yet they're kind of right only just acknowledged as eddie murphy comedies with some action in them it's like well but there's kind of so much more than that. They really are like, yeah. If you put Beverly like, Hills Cop, it would be it like on just a random Friday night. You're inviting friends over, and it's on in the background. People would just be eating tons of cheese, having a bunch of wine, and they they would be happy. Exactly. It's it's that I I put Die Hard in a different place, I guess, because I don't. I mean, I know that there's a buddy element to it. Oh, but just I never felt. Like, but but yeah, I know what you mean. It's more. Of yeah, a it's a different. Actually. It's kind of a different animal in, in some ways. And boy, it really, it, it, you know, talk about a series that goes up and down and up and way down, you know, and, and stuff like that. But um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, of, of them all, like, I think like, you know, you could have a hell of a triple feature if you wanted to, to go 48 hours, Beverly Hills Cop, Lethal Weapon. You know, okay. Like that, yeah. that would be a That's pretty, fun. pretty stellar, like action, buddy, comedy kind of trilogy right there. Yeah. Cause I mean, especially because like of all the villains i i do feel like lethal weapon 
it became it just became bigger just because everyone loved the charisma between Glover and Gibson and later Russo. And it's like, but it's mm-hmm. like, like you say, it's like you're only. I mean, as those good as villains your villain. are sinister, though, man. Mitchell Ryan and Gary Busey are fucking scary in that first. They're, they're great, and they're just yeah. something that Jet Li wasn't able to capture in Part Four. And I mean, part which is three, sad because he's awesome, but he's, he's excellent. Like, you, you can he, tell, like, oh, that'd have been so much cooler. Two movies he has a ago. great line in China, you'd be dead. But it's just like, with, with Part Free, like, that could have been a fun assault on Precinct 13 kind of movie with a bunch of crooked cops doing a bunch of armored car robberies. And it's just totally squandered in favor of cheap gags and just knowing that no one will actually die. And so it's just like, it, like, like you say, it's just like, the first one is just closer to BHC1 and first 48 hours in maybe parts of part two even though it's on steroids is like because you, you got the whole it just just uh the world they've just created in the first 10 frames and it's like yeah I'm, I'm set for life i don't i don't any plot holes or over the top moments you know you're only gonna get on the 10th viewing you know yeah yeah completely completely and like, like you say i mean they they welcome the over the top moments by characterizing it well for a genre piece instead of you know mm-hmm. like the other movies where they're just like rushing to production ah, script doesn't matter <laughs> worry about it later yeah it's, it was this thing that that horror sequels particularly the 80s franchises oh, into, where they were just just trying to throw something on the screen as fast as they could and you can tell like oh we, we fucked that up you know like it's it's and i mean you know the, a lot of those producers now will say like yeah we screwed that up by putting that out too fast you know and so but at the time yeah no everyone but at the time it. i mean yeah you, i mean look if you're getting stuff greenlit you go with it i understand i get it like yeah go with it it does work and right, it's such a shame because joel silver you know was typically very passionate you know i never got that from bruckheimer in interviews how you know he liked movies but whether or not they worked or not as a whole you know i never mm-hmm. got that but silver it was just such a shame because it's like he he was one of the few who just seemed to you know was constantly quoted as like i love these kinds of movies and i need these kinds of elements in everything i work on and mm-hmm. because it works as a crowd pleasing it worked in the 40s it works in the 70s it's going to work now and I, I think yeah with lethal weapon he just pretty much just wanted something easy on the side as a hustle for richard donner and company to do and it's like well mm-hmm. again they, they, they didn't need to do that they yeah and it, it could have been it could have been more it could have been more but you know it, it was what it was but for these two men like i say it's a great double feature to talk about and um it's fun to go back and revisit these things it had been a while since i had seen them so it was it was fun to go back and dig they them up. really don't get all that played all that much on tv the most i see is like vh1 or spike tv might play them because you know it's in the paramount vault but it's kind of sad you, you would think you know they'd want to play them more on some of the movie channels or something and I don't know if it's just uh, they figure everyone's gotten all the DVDs, but yeah, I mean, I do need to get the 48 hours Blu-rays when they uh, discount. It's just kind of a shame. Cause like we kind of glossed over in part two, like they're, I'm speaking about crooked cops and lethal weapon free. There's a crooked cop storyline that I think would have been, I only briefly talked about on part two. And I, I really wish there could be a restored version of that somewhere. Just, that's all I need. Just some scene earlier with a mysterious figure. Who is that mysterious guy who's later found to be a crooked cop from the first one? And mm-hmm. uh, uh, it seems like that's as good as we're going to get. Cause it seems like if I recall correctly uh, from movies like virtuosity and event horizon, Paramount apparently had like 
I don't think they had a fire, but I think they lost a lot of their film reels. They say they, that. I think I think they they just that what they particularly for Event Horizon, like they just they knew that that was a turkey that wasn't going to fly, and they just got rid of it. Like I don't think they ever thought that there would be any kind of a cult following for that. And even admittedly, the cult following for that movie is is only in watching like how it just evolves into insanity at some point. Like, oh, well, that's fair. I mean, movie, it's a movie you know? I was half and half on growing up. And yeah. I, was, and I mean, it's it's a fun revisit. Like we talked about it on films where we get it's in the films for archives. Y'all can go listen to us review it. And I'll say that the thing about that is that the people that made the trailer for that obviously had no idea what the hell that movie was. Like, because the trailer has nothing to do with that movie. If they if they had known, they probably could have could have sold it better. But I was even just, rewatching all the Star Trek shows, and they started using stock footage from that movie in yes, some of those seasons. Yeah, there, there's some stuff that works in it. There's definitely a parts of it where it just goes into crazy town. And it's and, like it was a technical yeah. feat, and then the rest of it was just like an mm-hmm. amazing story. But I mean, Paramount just seems to also just be shady in general. Like they don't want to go the extra mile. Like they only want to put money in their streaming platform at this point. And any Blu-rays they release are pretty much going to be, you know, stripped down versions of their DVDs from years ago to where you might as well stick with them. Or I don't know. It it just seems like it's just, I'm just getting at, it seems like they don't pay much of their library as much attention as they do say, you know, unless it's a TV franchise. And I think I think part of that is it's changed. You know, ownership has changed hands so many times that you just got people that just don't have any like reverence for it at all anymore. I mean, that's part of the Indiana problem. Jones makes sense because I mean, you got Lucas yeah, Trump but but that's Spielberg. that's that's because <laughs> St- Stephen is still going. Mm, that you will you will make good on that. <laughs> You're very influential, and I'm sure yeah. he can. He look the man had enough stroke to do a hundred million dollar musical that bombed. He did it as a passion project and a love letter to his dad, and he's still going to get everything. Hell, he the made it in the wrong there. era for these kinds of musicals. He you know? totally did. I mean, did, I mean, even for and he's untouchable. The, People are still going to be hyped up if they hear, "Oh, Spielberg's now working on this." Like now, he's working on something with David Lynch making the acting cameo, and everyone's exactly, <laughs> yeah. I mean, so it's. I mean, yeah, he's always going to have stroke. I mean, no doubt. And Spielberg, can you? give eddie some money or something also let's let's not let's not discount the fact that steven loves george and raiders the indiana jones stuff is half lucas's too and he's good and even the george will that you know he doesn't care anymore he, he got his money he just does what he does now but um steven's always gonna protect his buddy like he's not gonna let anybody talk bad about george and ruin george's stuff so it's, <laughs> yeah he's not no but you know, he sold star wars like he got that one away from me but you don't mess up anything else and so but his name on it too so that's yeah i know that about old steve <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that's uh that's that, he ain't gonna let that go down like that no yeah, well, yeah. why would he <laughs> yeah exactly I mean, at this point i mean freaking icon yeah no i look i will i will go watch steven spielberg make bad movies i don't care i like him i i like his schmaltz uh i i will i will watch it because now he just does stuff to try to he just it's almost like he's just challenging himself like he's trying to finish off like all the xbox challenges like well i'm gonna make a fucking video game movie and then, then i'm gonna make a musical and i don't know i'm just, you know then I'll, the only I'll thing he hasn't done yet is a western so maybe he could get maybe by next, Walter Hill. you know, I, know. I mean those aren't i mean those are going to be cool again now because yellowstone is everywhere so you know that that might be the next i'm thing. glad you made a contrast to that because yeah we were talking about streaming before and it's like that's a show that shouldn't have worked in this day and age but it did and I think, like you say, everything is all about timing. It's mm-hmm. like, what is the hot shit at that time? 
And like, cause well, we I'll get... tell you, and I don't know how they would ever do it, but you come up one that's buried in Walter Hill's catalog that I love. And it's Silverado. If you ever wanted to try to resurrect something, well, give me that again, baby. Cause that worked. That movie is awesome. Everybody likes Yellowstone. You need to go watch that. Cause that's some Kevin Wait, Costner, Silverado? Scott Glenn, Kevin oh, oh, Klein. Oh, that's Lawrence Kasten. Yes, Lawrence but, Cass, but, yeah. but yes, but yes, still, but still, he'll so under that too. I mean, yeah, that that is a that is a a stellar one that I we, saw the director's yeah. episode on that uh, about a year and a half ago, and Kasten was just like they didn't want to release it, and it got lots of acclaim, uh, despite it's like, and so I think that that's definitely that's a good trope. Is it's like westerns seem to work if you cover them up, like. Uh, John Hillcoat and even other things that Taylor Sheridan from Yellowstone has worked on. It seems mm-hmm. like even Dennis Minov's in some extent is like they can have a movie that flops money wise, but makes it back after the fact. But it's like, they're pretty much, yeah, they're making a lot of movies that are technically neo-Western, neo-war movies. Yeah, Hell, Hell, or, Hell or High Water is very much a neo-Western. Uh, it's a total, even, but yeah, it seemed like other than the Coen brothers, no one was really making Westerns. It's like no. they would make them here and there and they would never make any money. And it's like, you don't know if so much of it is audiences just not caring for it unless it's on TV or if it's just not sure how to market it or if they I, th- I think it's just not knowing how to tell that story and and tell it the way that make like it the hollywood out. romantic way is is of it. it's like because we know that's no. not how it was and it's also because you're you're also you're always going to chase pinnacles of the genre particularly like all the sergio leone and clint eastwood stuff you've got all of that then you've got things like tombstone which is just a remarkable film and then oh, even re- really good like open range is a great western but you know you've range got things good. like lonesome uh, dove which is a great mini series the sackets all that kind of stuff on that's TV. a good point unless robert duvall stars in it, another comeback <laughs> role a lot of people yeah. don't really get hyped up for it. and yeah. i mean john fasano worked on tombstone and i mean there's a connection mm-hmm. to today's topic i mean that was another yeah. one where that was a movie that should not have worked but you know, uh, hey, you know what? For all for all the Sly's stuff, and he gets a lot of crap, and he deserves a lot of it. He's the one that he's the one, that he's the one that told Russell, "If you bring George in, all you got to do is that just tell him what you want the night before, and he will do it." And, yeah, it's and, so funny. I I had never heard of that story, but I years prior I had read Vic Armstrong's book, and he talked about how he was working on like a World War II movie with Roger Moore in Italy, and everyone hated the guy. He was a hag. He didn't treat people like shit. And, mm-hmm. and he pretty much took over directing the movie and saved that film and made it have a budget. And so it's like, yep. it's so funny how, yeah, there's some guys that they, they can make orders, but they have zero inspiration or tone. And so it's like, it's just, sometimes that's all you need. You just need a guy who you can boss around. And when you hear stories from Kurt just saying, everyone would virtually direct a scene, Ball Kilmer directed like free scenes, even. Yep. Billy Bob directed a scene. It was like that. Bill Paxton did stuff. Powers Booth. Did he stuff. became a director I mean, on the side on, on yeah, the I mean, you, like you, yeah. you got, I mean, you had a lot of people that knew what to do and you just had to have the guy that could run the interference with the studio and George Cosmatos would do that. And Too much. You know, <laughs> and, I mean, and, and look, you know, Kurt and, and Stallone are friends. Like they've been, you know, friends for years, Tango Cash, all that stuff, you know, and it, it, that's what he told him. He was like, just you bring George in and it'll, it'll be okay. Like you, you can do it because they'll never let you do it. It'll, it'll tie it up. The movie will get stopped. But if you want to get it made, that's how you do it. And it was Kurt Russell and all those other people 
pulling stuff together and making that making that work you know yeah and, and it, it's fa- it's fabulous i mean god you talk about something that holds up uh tremendously i mean it, we talk you about do, you want to do a val kilmer double shot do that and do kiss kiss bang bang they're years apart but you talk about some powerful sure we can do some more modern day westerns we could talk young guns and we can even talk about how this blows wyatt earp out of the park <laughs> right well yeah you know and that's the that's the thing that wyatt earp movie if it hadn't have been made when there was tombstone is actually not bad it's pretty good i, I loved Dennis quaid's portrayal of it's it's much more realistic of the holiday <laughs> but at the same time it's one of those like it, had i not seen it on cable tv i can see why many were tuning out by the second hour it's just too yeah, much to cram it's, and so, too, it's another one of costner and his little overindulgences though i'll tell Kasten you is doing what he wants but yeah like you say yeah. costner much like eddie he had a big head and it's like okay yeah. you're not too big to fall buddy you gotta slow yeah. this train well and, and that's why i say he redeemed himself if you haven't watched it again it's definitely a great ensemble piece open range is is a fantastic western uh, did you ever and, see that interview on amc where uh, Duvall said that this was his trilogy, Lonesome Dub, Open Range, and then uh, Broken Trail, a miniseries he did with Walter Hill. <laughs> I did not see that, but you know, I could see that. That'd be a and great, I, yeah. I'd totally see them works. both back to back on there, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Open Range and Broken Trail. And I was like, oh, amazing. Westerns. I, I, yeah. I love being a cowboy or a. Uh, open range had had <laughs> had a great realism to it that just made it fun. Tombstone is like the tony scott action version of a western to sort of put not it's put more tarantino than the tarantino movie they all got yeah. great lines in i mean yeah. this is before it's, everyone was trying to be like psychological like fight club and everything like there's yeah. well, i mean I, I'm, interpret. A, I'm a fan of the old kirk douglas burt lancaster gunfight of the old k corral that movie's fun like it's, that, that's it's fun too and basically they wanted yeah. to do a 50s technical they, they redid western. that yeah, they redid that in the '90s, and it worked because, and it works because you, again, you've got a cast full of great character actors that pull that stuff off. John Kennedy's a great character actor. He was in that mm-hmm. and Beverly Hills Got Free the same year. Guess which one <laughs> I remember him from? I remember exactly. him from Tombstone at the beginning as the bandit. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yes, very much. Very <laughs> and, much. That's, a, that's a great button in this one. Well, that's and I'm liking perfect. that you're bringing up these westerns because I mean, like, again, these. These basically all have some kind of high noon kind of mentality to them. And I think that's why they work so well. Cause like you can watch high noon and you can either love it or find it outdated. And it's like, but don't deny it's formula that works. You know, it's like, cause we're talking die hard too. And lethal weapon and those kind of go in their own direction is like, yeah. but I think, yeah, Hills cop and you know, kind of just goes from 48 hours, which kind of goes from just classic Western folklore, which is, you know, to, you know, a bandit and a gunfighter, you know, go after, you know, an outlaw. You know, it's like, that's, that's all you need. Let the rest yeah. of the thing unfold from there and yeah. everyone's happy and you can characterize everyone. Someone can do an ad lib that works. Someone can do a script revision that doesn't, you know, compromise the integrity of it all. It, yeah. I mean, you, you, it's the things about Tombstone. I mean, I consider all day and talk about that. Like, you know, Michael Bean is so friggin' awesome in that movie. And oh, much yeah. like Aliens was brought in at the last minute to do it, and he just friggin' shows and up. That's and that's fine. Owns. Like, Remarge, you know, I'm, I'm glad the way his career went. You know, he'll always be the 48 hours, you know, uh, robber to me and compared to, you know, Bean, you know, it's just sure he was great in Terminator, but I mean, like, in Aliens, like, I, I, he really did own the role. I can't see 
any other person doing it as good at him as much as you know as charismatic as Remar can be at times it's just like it's like the, the dominoes fell where they did and I, I wish we had similar structure to that you know compared to now where it just seems like everyone's just bidding on everything buying stock and uh, you know I've had filmmakers on this show before and they talk about everyone is still doing the investor game and it's just like stop it doesn't work <laughs> you gotta mm-hmm. you gotta in- invest your own money and then make your kind of movie instead of do the shortcut where well we technically need this guy but the studios want this kind of guy overseas and it's like well then forget it you know (laughs) if they're wrong for the role the movie will not work it doesn't you will not make your money back because people already don't buy it (laughs) right right completely completely and we're just seeing it time and again and i mean it used to be very hush hush on what happened on a film set. Everyone was very professional, and now yeah. every other movie seems to be just. Everybody knows it, man. We we live in the behind the scenes, like the post behind the scenes culture now, man. Because it's you know IMDb and extras on the VHS and DVDs and all that stuff. Like we just people just expect that now. That's how you follow anything is you pull the curtain back. Oh, totally. And, you know, I blame it all on the fact that Vince McMahon had to admit that wrestling was scripted in court. That's when we just pulled every curtain down in in pop culture. And after that, it's all. Oh, totally. It's all I've been on reality shows, and they're not reality. They're just- no, you pretend no. to be a house bidder. I was on an episode of Cheaters for fuck's sake. So I was just like, <laughs> I mean, everybody knows. Like it's and that's the thing is is and you'd be surprised. I've had pals who I consider smart people. Mm-hmm. They think it's real as all get out. Oh, the apprentice is staged. No, it's like, dude, bro, it's all it it's all that way. It's always been that way. That's the, that's the take it, part. take it with a grain of salt. And yeah, like yeah. you say, this is like it, it is fun seeing someone act. Uh, you know, frustrated. I mean, I saw Project Greenlight and the executive going, oh, shit. It was very unconvincing. It's like, yeah, because he's not an actor. He's yeah, exactly. producer. This is what he's doing. Like yeah. But yeah. Like, like you say, yeah, I mean, I, I think everyone did get into that toxic kind of moment where it's just like, yeah, since it's all staged, I want to see people fail. So I think we do have a lot of people who, because they're so d- obsessed with gossip and just tabloids, they kind of feel a lot of that trolling on social media as well to where it's just like i mean come on who buys any of that oh marvel actor lets something slip they knew exactly what they were saying they just knew how to get away with it and not violate their nda and get blacklisted you know (laughs) oh completely completely so it, it is kind of interesting how sometimes they use that like staging to do a funding like leaked alien art yeah you know, what new blancomp did uh mm-hmm. deadpool you know <laughs> gets released so that way it forces the studio's hand oh you have to make the movie now that you've refused yeah. to make for a decade so i think some of it has worked but i think a lot of it is now drying up because the studios realize how embarrassing and how much pr nightmares they've had to do i think you know with digital and everything now everyone just wants to delete any embarrassing info and just say oh yeah i'm yeah, taking just, that to my grave <laughs> right yeah they're trying to move off of it as quick as they can but you know can't can't run away from something so <laughs> well especially politically and everything i mean yeah everything is now on a phone now so it's like yeah i mean you, yeah that's the thing is that yeah, there is no privacy anymore everything's gonna get somebody's gonna gonna let you know that i don't oh, have to record anything i can well, just I mean, turn my phone on and, even by accident i have a here look the, the the smart the smart um productions lean into that and uh you know they'll they'll i mean jamie lee curtis like if you want to know what's going on in the new halloween movies just follow her on the gram 
she will post shit every day and let you know how it's going. Here's what we're shooting. Look at this knife. Doesn't it look cool? Like she, you know, she leans into that because the producers are telling her like, Hey, we need, you know, you're kind of the face of this. And so, you know, they, I mean, the smart ones again, let people in on well, it. Well, that was an independent because, franchise bought by a bigger studio. So they know right, that right, they, they can't totally look get. too corporate with that one versus something that's always been corporate. You know, they're always all right. about, but I mean, now, numbers, I mean, you know. like even the Star Wars, like go back to even when the prequels were made, man. Like I remember watching those web videos of like the pre-production of them making the movie and stuff and just being just blown. Yeah, now it's like, second nature. And, but yeah, yeah but that, that was, was a thing. big deal. Like that was a huge Force.net, I went to nonstop. Mm-hmm. I went to even, yeah, by the time The Hobbit came yeah. around and they were doing that i'm like oh but this is second nature i've been seeing them do this on every you know movie site right for 10 years but george did that because he wasn't convinced people would remember star wars because at that point it's hard to remember a time when it wasn't everywhere i saw people trying to shatter that interview with him it's just like no for real people it was not played on tv all that much it was like the godfather where it was once a year and you tape it or you don't you know right exactly like if you were lucky enough to own it you know then you you were i mean that's why he put them back out in theater all that stuff was because he he needed people to get interested in it again he needed to convince the studios if you know like that he well and that's another one he owned it all and they just had Mm -hmm. distribution rights so it's just like okay uh, well, I mean, he, I mean, he's, you watch those behind the scenes, particularly like Phantom Menace and he's sitting there looking at the budget going, man, this better work. <laughs> yeah. It's all his money company. And, yeah. and he was like the most independent movie at that time for like a yeah. hundred million dollars to where even SAG didn't want certain actors coming on there. And it's like, and, and yeah, nowadays, yeah. With everything being so corporate, I don't think in the, there's some independent companies like RLGE or, sticks media which will do a lot of heat or training day influence movies like two of them each a year and make decent money mm-hmm. and rental sales and i think so yeah I, I think i mean open road films is still going and i thought it had closed up for a while but yeah it's got distribution deals with lionsgate and fox and i think that a lot of these independent companies still are in there still trying to squeeze in stuff and they're clearly some producers are looking at forums they're seeing what people are saying and they want to cast some of these b movie stars like uh, like has-beens like Dolph Lundgren or new guys like you know Scott Atkins and they're still I mean you've talked about them so you know but it's like it is interesting to see which ones they will take a chance on like a Frank Grillo and Carl Urban are always doing some gritty ones movies yep. once in a while where they're playing a hard-boiled cop or ex-bank robber out for vengeance and it's like that's cool to have that alternate formula because mm-hmm. hopefully the studios are getting it now it's like for a while when Blu-ray was coming around, you know, and then got taken over by streaming is like, it's okay to have options. So now a TV show is going to get a DVD release and now every movie is going to get a giant expensive Blu-ray set as well as long lost movies. And then streaming is going to always have something that none of the other platforms have. And so it's like, there is something for everyone. You don't have to do the whole, you know, out with the old and with the new no, I mean, I, I, I'm thankful, you know, as a horror fan, I'm thankful that something like Shudder exists because it's yeah. just an outlet for so much great independent horror. If you, that, that pays homage to all the stuff you like about the genre, if you're an old fan like me or whatever, but yeah. just introduces new twists to it and it gives, it gets a lot of creativity and it's cool to see that kind of I stuff. I wasn't surprised oh. when it was by AMC because AMC was mm-hmm. kind of the king for a while of finding long lost mm-hmm. movies that yep. Turner they, Classic Movies wasn't utilizing. 
Yeah, yeah, they 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 were the start of it. You're exactly right. So that's that's the and it's good that there's well, they, they own shutter. That, that's the second. Yeah, one. that's what I'm saying. I mean, like <laughs> that, that. I w- I wish there, and it's because they're so disparate across so many different studios and properties now. I I've joked with my friends that I'm like, there, I wish there was an action movie shutter. You know, like they, I mean, you could impact you could was kind of there that. for a bit, but it it was just a satellite channel. I mean, you yeah. Uh, don't get me wrong. I think Sony, I mean, they got crackle, but they got to ramp it up. But yeah, mm-hmm. I, I could see even Lionsgate yeah. have Summit Interactive or something. Just do T- some. Tubi has a lot of stuff on it. You know, you just got to dig for it, but it's there. I mean, it's there, but like there could be a, if you wanted to. They and Flex are channel. just the, yeah. yeah. Well, and I mean, Pluto is basically bootleg cable. Yeah. People don't want to have cable. So it is interesting yeah. how we got these third parties that are booming. Mm-hmm. And you don't know if everyone, you know, even post COVID, I mean, I think everyone wants to kind of just get by and then slowly build up to, you know, get active again. So, I mean, the next 10 years, I think, like you say, will be very interesting because there's so many options and way more than what we used to have. And those who aren't, you know, I, I still encounter people who, you know, they've always had cable TV. They've never had any of the movie channels or streaming. And so, you know, if, well, if they do, it's just a brief, whatever's on Netflix, they're not going to go the extra mile and, you know, get a prime or download something free like Tubi. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it, it is interesting seeing what, uh, you know, what people do have access to. And then, yeah, like you, I, I know many who is like, unless it's on streaming, not nah, giving a minute of my time. So it's, it is interesting how, and then there's others who, again, that they run, they run at the existing, or shall we say, remaining video stores. So until something comes out in the street date, they're not gonna, you know, they're gonna just figure it out with their wallet and buy a giant set and own it, even if they hate it, you know. So it's yeah. that we'll always have these free markets, I think. And now it's just up to, like you say, the studios to get creative and decide. But yeah, I, I mean, with hopefully it will evolve into something neat and instead of just, well, it was cool for 10 years. It's no longer relevant anymore. It's like, no, 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 bullshit. <laughs> Everyone yeah, always wants an older trend. Just like with movies are much like no different than fashion. There's always going to be khaki jeans or, you know, certain, certain dresses that come back and with great there's, appeal. There's an audience for everything. It's just finding totally. them. And that, and you know, that's the thing is Listening the you make it them. for people to find and <laughs> there it is. Exactly. So listen to them, please mm-hmm. guys. I know you might hate the toxic internet, but look at a forum once in a while, there's going to be someone who is actually going to say a constructive remark who isn't there just saying some baseless, you know, hackneyed insult. There's going to be someone right. who actually says, I think so-and-so would be wonderful for this role and just give you a paragraph. And that's, you may not want to make the time to read that, let alone make time for any of this shit, but it, you will find some legit comment for every annoying or uninspired bash, you know? And, yeah, well, it's, it's like anything. You have to dig through to find the, the gold, you know, underneath all the mud, but it's there. You just got to be willing to mine for it. It's so. a gold mine. Do it, please. Yeah. And, I mean, it is kind of sad, though, that all these channels pretty much especially the streaming platforms is themselves i mean basically think that any sci-fi or horror show like it's going to have to be streaming only because they've just looked at the numbers and for whatever reason just uh either people aren't tuning in because they feel it'll be censored in a way 
unlike it was in the 90s or they just they just always put it in a terrible time slot and they wonder mm-hmm. why and so i'm just always just flustered when i it, without hesitation just abc or nbc and yes even fox will come out with something and then be so you know blasphemous oh i don't know why it didn't do well i'm like i think you should look at history regardless of who's in charge of programming there's a reason certain stuff did not take off completely completely okay well it's been a blast here brother and absolutely man thanks so much for having me on again i really appreciate it absolutely and anything uh Feel free to promote Filmstrip real fast. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, people can uh, search for Filmstrip Podcast wherever you find podcasts or go to filmstrippodcast.com. That'll take you to the Anchor distribution site. You can follow the show on you know, all the social media at Filmstrip Pod. And uh, appreciate it if you would give us a look and a listen. Uh, we appreciate all the support. We've been around a long time. We've got a huge catalog, as I've alluded to. Uh, 300 plus episodes and uh, we we'll still keep cranking them out and uh, you so want a guy who strips away literally the, the <laughs> themes as well as just material and whether it works for today's crowd versus just being a sign of the times it it yeah, this is the podcast for you. Well, I appreciate that. I give a lot of credit to 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 my fellow uh, co-hosts and the the wonderful guests we have on. Ron and Lindsay do a, a great job of of being part of the film strip crew, and then our alums who occasionally they make appearances have back. Twitter too. apart, saying, "Hey, get on the show already." <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so come come on and uh, and and jump in. But yeah, we are. Um, yeah, we have a, we have a good time, and uh, appreciate everybody uh, giving us a listen. And thanks so much for having me on again, man. I really enjoyed it. Absolutely, you know it. We'll return after these messages. JURS Podcast is proud to promote AutoCorrect, an independent film company with experienced industry professionals who can serve all your film industry needs. They include self-tapes, voice actor recordings, demo reel editing, script revisions, headshots, and much more. They're actor correct at your request. Book them on Instagram. Hey, feeling down? Feeling low? Not enough podcasts about movies in your life? Why not try... They must be destroyed on sight! The new Podcast Cure-All. Sure to get you right with the world and on a path to better living. We have exploitation, we have Italian horror, we have zombies, we have slashers, we have crime films, we have spaghetti westerns, we even have sci-fi and sex comedies. So take a dose of... They must be destroyed on sight! As needed, and let the hosts, Lee Russell, Daniel Harper, Paul Romali, and the odd guest host, Cure What Ails Ya. Warning, may cause atrophy, African consumption, black fever, bone shave, chin puff, colic, cramp colic, dropsy of the brain, elephantitis, grocer's itch, jaundice, mania, miasma, mortification, palsy, pox disease, rheumatism, scurvy, St. Anthony's fire, summer complaint, and worm fit in some people. Consult a physician before listening. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Ah, necrophilia. It's a dead issue, man. Don't don't push it. Cinema PsyOps is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, crude. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am 
in the most sincerest of senses disappointed in you. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. Oh, I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get it's out of. Unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you shouldn't be. I'm not entirely sure even 17-year-olds should be watching this. Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this, like, little nerd glee with everything Dude, that kept Little history doll yeah, popping up absolutely. at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you, you know, couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was How did you watch movie. this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. Hey, everybody. I'm Corey. And I'm Zach. And we're the hosts of Podcasting After Dark, a cast dedicated to late-night horror and sci-fi of the 80s and 90s, often found on HBO and Cinemax. You know, the movies your parents didn't want you watching as a kid. You can find us every other week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, and Stitcher. This is what you want. This is what you get. Greetings, friends. My name is Dean Legero, and I'm the host of the 3324 Podcast. I invite you to join me and my lifelong friend Eric Kuber to come with us as we discuss the music and movies that shaped our life. Each week, we'll pick an album or film that we really connect to and not only give you some great info and trivia, but also discuss, debate, and celebrate what it means to us and the journey it took us on. We also look forward to hearing from you and giving us some of your picks for us to check out and discuss. I think it'll be a really fun experience, so come along with us for the ride. You can find us on your favorite podcast provider, and at 3324.buzzsprout.com. Thanks for your time, and welcome to the 3324 family. We love good movies. We love the bad ones too. So we watch them all and pass their lessons on to you. Oh, yeah. Everything I learned from movies Helps to make life a little bit groovy With a one-life plot holes a gratuitous boobies It's time to get busy With your friend Steven Izzy at eilfm.podbean.com. We now continue with our program. Follow us on the web on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The podcast is available on Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Anchor, Apple, and anywhere else podcasts are available. Feel free to review our show and leave comments on any of those sites. Thanks a million for listening. It's a jacked up.